Oh boy, episode number 70. And I think Mr. Postseason has become both a blessing and a curse. For you or for everybody? Well, for me now. Okay. Because I'd like to think that if we are about to embark upon an episode number 70 right here, let's say two hours and 30 minutes or two hours of a great show that involves you and I kidding around, yeah. talking about the Seahawks winning Carolina, four good guests, Semi Ballesteros is going to get called a, a bad name on this Ooh, show. Okay. I mean, four really good guests because I've already done those. Yeah. And then some other stuff with some laughs and naming the show. I'd like to think that if we're going to do two and a half hours or two hours for episode 70, that people would like enjoy the show. <laughs> but why do I get the feeling that people are like, okay, where's Mr. Postseason? Let me listen to it. And to, to hell with the other shit. Yeah. It's all other shit. Why? Well, I, count. I, I, told I you. work really hard on the other shit. Yes. You work very kind of hard on the other <laughs> shit. That's right. I told you last week, if the Seahawks would have lost to Carolina, Mr. Postseason could just hit the bricks. I'm out. We don't even need to do it. I right. don't care. Well, we don't but really. But they no, won. No, according so. to you on episode on episode 69P, we oh. really don't need to do Mr. Postseason because you've already decided they've lost to the 49ers on December the 29th. Which, I have, yes. Which has irritated me and just about everybody else <laughs> that was listening to it. I on what grounds? I, I, I contend, so let me rephrase that question. I contend you were reacting to what you saw. It was like, what's happened most recently? They looked terrible against the Rams, and the Niners beat the Saints on the road, so you were feeling a little bit blue. Now, it's a week later, or not a week later, it's episode 70, and you've just completed watching the 49ers lose to the Falcons at home. Did you not watch the Falcons beat the 49ers in San Francisco? Now, you're telling me that the Seahawks at home, after they've already beaten the 49ers once, with everything on the table, everything on the line, you're telling me the Seahawks have no chance at home on December 29th at, at 135, at 125? It had less to do with the Seahawks. It had more to do with the fact that they barely lost to the Seahawks. They destroy the Packers, barely lose to the Ravens, okay, and then beat the now, Saints. That's what I was basically Okay, up. but let's update it now. It is do updated. You do you, you <laughs> still feel like they have no chance? The Seahawks have no chance. They're not gonna did beat, I say no chance? No, you said they're not going to beat the 49ers. I did, I did not think they would beat the 49ers. And I, do I'm, you still think they, they, they won't beat the 49ers? We tell need a little, me. a little, come on. I would love it more than anybody, but tell me how healthy they are. Is everybody playing? Like, I don't know. Did, did, they, did they look great, the Seahawks, against Carolina? And right now, in my mind, we're off to a good start on episode 70. And in my mind, people are listening to this right now. And they're saying, would they just tell us when Mr. Postseason's going to be on this thing <laughs> so that we can figure out exactly what the situation is? It's weird how a legion I become to Mr. Postseason when I read stuff on Twitter. I just want to you know, jump in. Every year. Oh, oh it's God. Great. I want to get on the rooftops. Oh, my God. Every year at this time, there is so much misinformation, yeah. and people are claiming that this is yep. right, and no, you're not, and there's fights on oh, social yeah. media. I plugged it into This blah, guy blah, says blah. this, yeah, and yeah. I did it on ESPN. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I, and I've actually proven how ESPN's own, like, play off machine yeah. is faulty has a bug right I mean, oh yeah. it's it, 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 there's only one source <laughs> that's, but that's a blessing and a curse mr analog who gets the sports pages out and does it that way i take the glasses i go to taco right. time i put the excel sheet on i've sent you the pictures oh, you've yeah. seen the pictures all, right. all over the place yeah. all right for those of you that are only here for episode 70 for mr postseason he will be at the end of our first segment. This is our T segment where I tell you all the great stuff that I think you should listen to besides Mr. Postseason. Yeah, sure. And I tell you who it's brought to you by, and I tell you who the guests are going to be, and I preview the show, and I give you the game plan. 
And then we'll get into the opener, and I'll give you like my 11 or 12 thoughts on the Seahawks win against Carolina. I've got a a bunch of uh, random observations. And then at the end of that first segment, we will segue from the Seahawks win against Carolina into Mr. Postseason. Then we'll do four guests and our other thoughts segment at the end. But I'm I'm first supposed to tell you that you can find all this on Apple Podcasts. I guess people have already found it because they're listening. Spotify, MitchUnfiltered.com. And on Apple Podcasts, by the way, we used to say with Jason before you came aboard, we used to encourage people who listen on Apple, on Apple Podcasts, if you really enjoy the show, to give us a five-star rating and write a little critique. You know, there's a little comment section there on is, Apple. Yeah. yeah. I stumbled and- across it once. You did? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> It's like the, the, the line from uh, Planet of the Apes is, uh, be careful what you go looking for. You right. may not like what you find. Maybe I shouldn't be asking people right now to give us a rating. But when, Most we, of them when we first started, people were like great to us. And they were like, five stars, Mitch is back, JM's great, Hotshot sucks. You know, the yeah, whole yeah. thing. <laughs> the the yes. whole thing. And, Where's Gross? But what's happened is we, we're, not getting, we're not getting rated and not getting comments recently. So if you're one of the more, re- maybe you're one of the more recent Apple podcasts users that has found Mitch Unfiltered. If you're enjoying it and you want it to continue and you want other people to listen and you want the the podcast to thrive, I ask you to rate us and send a little a little comment if you're on Apple. But if you have a three and a half in your heart. No, uh, I want five okay. stars. Yeah, right. As Jason used to say, either give us five stars or don't do anything at all. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And if you'd like more of Mitch Unfiltered, you know, people are like, they're lazy. They only do one show a week that's that's dropped on Monday mornings. Tell everybody, Hotshot, that we do a lot more than one show a week. Oh, right? we do this patron episode. Yeah. It's two, amazing. It's Drops the, on Thursdays. Yep. Yep. And then we do some fantasy football, or you do some fantasy football segments. I do. Some gambling segments. I do. Yeah, there's all kinds of content that's for right. you. And is Mr. Po- is Mr. Postseason, by the way, the official Mr. Postseason report, because as you know, we're recording this on a Sunday night. Yep. There's a, a Saints game left to be left to be played on Monday night. There's a Sunday night game between the Bills. I mean, there's other games. The the official Mr. Postseason report appears yeah. where? Every, Hot shot. On the patron episode that drops on, on Thursday. Thursdays. Because yes. I can't I can't do the official. Mr. Postseason can't do the official, though he'll be with us to clear up all the mess that right now, <laughs> as a result of the 49ers loss to the Falcons, oh. on the game's final play, two plays in a row that go to the replay official. The first, the catch. Did you think the tight end caught the ball? Well, I was I driving at that point, oh, so I yeah, wasn't yeah. 100% sure. Oh, my God. But the second one, when, when is it uh, Blandino? Yeah. When he says, I think he crossed the plane. I, oh, he t- totally crossed I the plane. I was driving, so I couldn't really tell. He I was totally like, crossed They the might plane. lose this. And I'm no, in my car going like this. Was, F the ballet, F the nutcracker. Football's may, the best. As you'll find out from Mr. Postseason at the end of segment one, it may not make a difference at all, but it's fun. It's fun to anoint the Seahawks as of right now. Now, again, when people are listening to this, if you're listening to it on Monday, this will apply. If you're listening to this on Tuesday or Wednesday, it won't apply because we won't know about the Saints until Monday night. But as of the time that we're recording, do you realize, as we sit, as I look at you right now across wearing your Issaquah Power clean. Yeah, it's a, it's a high school football shirt. It's a high school football yeah, shirt. Yeah, yeah. You realize that the Seattle Seahawks right now are the number one seed in the NFC. I was excited that they're, they're first the place in the one, NFC West again. No, I mean, no they're the number wow. one seed in the NFC until the Saints play on Monday night against the Colts. It's fun loaning first place to the Niners for a week and then evicting them after <laughs> just one week. <laughs> hey, guys, you got to go. Sorry, I hope you liked it. You're out the front door. <laughs> That's right. Okay, uh, four, as I said, 
Stay around for more than, don't just fast forward. They've already fast forward. People are not even hearing this. I'm now going to try to, comp- I'm sure I'm going to try to beg and, and plead for people to enjoy the whole show, not just Mr. Postseason, but I've already lost them. So I might as well not even beg and plead. You're like a chef who made a seven course meal and people really just want to get to the dessert. Like I, I hear his desserts are great. So get the soup and everything else out of here. All right. So here are the guests that you're not going to hear. <laughs> you're already convinced. <laughs> Brady Henderson, the ESPN Seahawks insider from Charlotte, is going to be on the show talking about all the guys that didn't play. And did Pete pull a fast one? Would they have played if it was a playoff game with Jadavion Clowney and Kendricks? Would they? Did they try to steal a victory and rest some guys? Mm-hmm. Shaq Griffin? Uh, we're going to get those answers, but of course, you're not going to hear it. Um, Steve Phillips, my guy, the okay. former GM of the Mets on the $880 million worth of contracts that Scott Boris has already negotiated in like the last 10 days. Four, like four guys for $880 million? Aren't there any what other a agents? country, as Yakov Smirnov said. Yes, but... Aren't there any other agents who can get in on that action? Can't I mean, get in on the action. Jesus. It's unbelievable. Did you do you have any plans? Are you a are you a winter movie goer? I'm a winter movie goer. I don't know if I've ever heard that term, a winter movie goer. Like this like I love going to the movies when the kids are out of school, like that those last couple of weeks of December before they go oh, back I during see. winter yeah. break. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. always like five or six good movies that come out. Well, yeah, there's a reason very ex- for they want to get in before Oscar season, right? Is that the why that's why they come I thought out? Because they want me to come and I'll go during the, the last two weeks. I thought it's just for me. I have announced I'll... to my family that I'm going to Ford versus Ferrari by myself. You guys are welcome to come. Oh, see, that's I, I know not one of them. To. That's already out. Well, I'm that, talking about the new like are you gonna go to Richard you're gonna go to Richard Jewell? Do you know the story of Richard Jewell? I do, and that's going to be kind of a tough one. I, I don't think I have any desire because it's really a sad story. I don't think I have any desire to see that. That's a, that's a real bummer. All right. Well, do you know that it's controversial? Have you been following the stories about Richard? It's out now, and yeah. I and I recorded an interview with a Washington Post columnist. That's what I heard. A reporter, I think, was sort of painted in a kind of a rough picture. Yes, it's yeah. a very con- Clint Eastwood made the movie, yeah. and he's under fire as is the studio. Does everybody know who Richard Jewell is, or am I getting ahead of the story? Am I bearing the lead here? It was Richard almost Jewell. 25 years ago. It was a while ago, so maybe just refresh everybody. Richard Jewell was the security man who found the bomb that went off in Atlanta at the Olympics. He, from all accounts, saved a lot of lives by moving people out. He found it, whatever. And then immediately, a couple of days after becoming a national hero for saving so many people's lives, the FBI made him the, the, the primary suspect. And the Atlanta Journal-Constitution got the information, put it in the newspaper, and it ruined his life. Right. Ruined his life. I think he died young, too, if I remember correctly. He died like at 44. That's that. Well, the sadness, there's so many sad layers to this story, is that she did, too. The reporter that's in the middle of the controversy died. So did the FBI agent who gave her the tip. He's dead. Nobody's around to defend themselves. And it really, you say 25 years ago, but... It's not that, it's 1996, not that long ago. All these people should be alive and they're not. Right. So it was a controversial, there's a controversial element to it where they portray her, the reporter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, as offering sex to the FBI agent to get the tip. Do you know this? No. Because that's what the controversy is. Oh, jeez. And so everybody who knows, who knew her, now she's dead. She died, she had a troubled life. She uh, she died of an overdose, and she's not here to defend herself. And everybody who knew her, including the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is like yelling foul play. That's not true. Now, which brings into focus a lot of different things in play here. Number one, it's the age-old movie 
based on a true story. Yeah. How much liberty with the facts? Right. Did they embellish a little bit? Or Every one yeah. of them embellishes. Every movie sure. that's ever been made about a real life topic embellishes. Yep. But where did, where's the line? Where is the line? Did they go over? The question in this case is they decided that this would add a different little flair to it. And they portrayed her as someone who got the tip about Richard Jewell being the prime suspect, which, of course, turns out he was innocent and he was a hero and he lived a a terrible his mom and everybody else. Was it important enough for them to embellish? Should they have embellished that part of it? And. That's what the controversy is over. So this guy from the Washington Post who wrote a big story, and a lot of people have. You find a, he wrote a big article about how they shouldn't have done that. They didn't need it. To, he's going to be our guest. And I, of course, raced out to see it right after I, I recorded the interview with his name is um, his, his name is Paul Fari okay. of the Washington Post. So my question is, I mean, you'll find out in the interview, but has the movie studio come out and said, yeah, we embellish, sorry, or are they, are they defending it to the death? Or is it not clear? Well, it depends on whether you ask. You listen to the interview. Okay. The, the actress, um, the actress who plays her is Olivia Wilde. You know her. Yeah, sure. Um, she says there's, there's, there. I, I, we didn't try to suggest that she did this. We believe that there was a pre-existing relationship between the FBI agent and her. Um, the movie the- studio believes, and there's, see, there's just a lot of interesting elements to this. The movie studio believes, as do a lot of people, that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's pissed not because they embellished or they did something with this reporter's character, but they're just pissed because they're made out in the movie to look like they ruined the guy's life. Yeah. Should they have, even with the tip, should they have published that he was the prime... This is another topic. This is a journalistic question, yep. and it's been argued for years. If you get a hold of, of an FBI investigation and you know who their primary suspect, should you be... Should you not publish that, or should you publish that? Because look what happened. Yep. They got they got a hold of who... I mean, it was, it was fact that he was the primary suspect for a time, for 88 days, but had they not gone with the story and not put his picture and say he's the primary suspect... The guy's life wouldn't have been ruined, as it turned out. You so. still see it to this day, first over right, or over correct, I should say. It's better to be first in some people's minds over whether you're really right or not, right? Well, I mean, this that, is different, though. They're, they were right. Well, but he wasn't, they were he wasn't say, guilty. What they were saying was, oh, he was he's, the the pro- he's the suspect. So yeah. they were right, but yeah. is that good enough? I see what you're saying, yeah. Just as a suspect, right. is that good enough? They were right. The FBI made him the primary suspect. But if they didn't go to print with it, the FBI could have investigated him, cleared him, and we may not have ever known, and the guy's life wouldn't have been ruined. Yep. Anyway, I went to it's the I went to the movie. I'm recommending, even though it's a little sad, yep. to go to the movie because you're going to see some incredible performances. Okay, there's some really good performances in this movie, led by the guy who plays Jewel, who I thought was fantastic. I don't know who he is. I guess a lot of other people that know movies know this guy, who, who this actor is, but he was unbel- he was unbelievably good. There was great. a lot of good. Kathy Bates plays the mom. Oh, I mean, wow. there's just a lot of really... She's great. Really kind of Oscar-worthy performances. So if you get a if you get a moment where you're in the right mood, go see Richard Jewell. I'm, anyway, we're going to have Paul Fari on the I'm show. guessing you're not going to Star Wars. No, I'm not the- going to. <laughs> I have five or six on my list. And I have Star Wars or- doesn't make it? No, no, I would never go to a Star Wars movie. movie. Never. I haven't seen one since The Return of the Jedi, which I walked out of in the middle of. Oh, like you walked out of it? 40 years ago. Wasn't yeah. wasn't good? 
Oh, I just can't stand that stuff. I can't stand that stuff. Really? Yeah. No. I'm I'm definitely no, not a I'm huge out. fan, but I'm gonna go see the new oh, one. No, no. I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand it. I'm not interested at all in Star Wars. There'll okay. be no mm. Star Wars sighting for me. Impressive. You have a list of six without Star Wars. That's crazy. List of six or five uh, holiday movies without Star Wars. So uh the the guests are what did I say? Brady Henderson, Steve Phillips, Paul Fari of the Washington Post. I think you'll get a I think you'll be interested in that interview. And then Ken Green. Does everybody remember Ken Green? Very rememberable if that's a word yes memorable sure we can go with rememberable episode 52 awesome. were, were you doing the show in episode 52 days i started in 43 so yes okay and then i went and there was like an hbo doc or something about him i went and watched that as well all right ken green is that former golfer who has suffered through some really miserable times in his life yeah. was abused as a child <sighs> I mean, I don't even. The list goes on and on. Yeah, he gets in an RV accident, loses his leg, loses his fiance, loses his dog, loses his brother in that, and he lives but loses his leg. Can't play really golf much, very well anymore. He was on. He's kind of a friend of a friend. And episode fifty-two, he tells the story, and it's on. He lost his son to a a drug overdose. He tells the story in a book. He tells it on 52. Well, he's one of the most outspoken. People are afraid of Ken Green because he'll say anything about anyone. And I figured, who better to talk about Patrick Reed <laughs> right, there you than go. Ken Green? You're going to get Ken the- Green, who was in trouble with the PG. He was always in trouble, always getting fined, disciplined, always in trouble. Not the kind of trouble like the cheating trouble that Patrick Reed is, is finding himself in. But I figured that Ken Green would have a lot to say about the President's Cup and Patrick Reed and Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus and all that stuff. I keep saying that if he gets hired by a network, I will start watching golf just to hear him. I will. He's incredible. He's great. And I've already done that interview, and I'm not going to give it away, but there is a a great moment. Uh, There's a few incredible moments during that interview. That's all I'm going to say, but nobody's going to hear it because all they want to hear is Mr. Postseason. The dessert. Dessert first. Yeah, the dessert is kind of first anyway. It's, yeah. in the, first, it's the end of the first segment. All right, so this is going to be episode 70. You and me, then four interviews, then you and me with the other stuff, which, again, another segment that I love that no one's going to hear. Nah, people will hear. I mean, I talked about, you know, suntanning the nether region a couple of days ago. I mean, how do you do better than that? Again, no one's going to listen to it. Hotshot episode 70 and all Mitch Unfiltered episodes not possible without our partners, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. It's the holiday season, and all year I've been pleading with you guys at the very least to give Jordan Flowers' team a call at 425-250-3150 just to see if a refinance makes sense for you and your family. For the last many months, people all over the country have been reducing their monthly payments and even pulling thousands and thousands of dollars out to do renovations or whatever by Christmas gifts you need to call Jordan at 425-250-3150 Evergreen Gov Call a premier wealth manager in the Northwest with offices along the West Coast and not only the originator of evervestment.com which is a new program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth of many of Evergreen's clients but they're also one of the biggest reasons that Mitch Unfiltered continues to crank out shows week after week Check them out. Evergreen Golf Call and Evervestment.com. Zeke's Pizza. My boys and I had dinner a couple of weeks ago at the new 17th location in Woodenville on 135th Avenue Northeast. Whether it's at home with Zeke's door-to-door delivery or at one of their 17 locations, sports, 
pizza, craft beer with a true blue Northwest company. It's looking like a viewing party next weekend for the Cardinals Seahawks game at Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. And Daniel's Broiler, you know by now about the latest addition to the Daniel's family of world-class steakhouses, downtown location, the new Hyatt Regency right near the Paramount Theater, perfect for dinner before the show, the king of special occasions. We've done two very special Seahawks viewing parties and are thinking about a third for the huge December the 29th game against the 49ers. Shoot me an email if you're interested in coming. Daniel's Broiler, World Class Steakhouses. Here we go. Episode number 70 of Mitch Unfiltered starts right now. Unfiltered. When you get to weeks 11, 12, 13, where we are, late in the season, and you have a matchup of, a t- of two teams that are both at least good football teams, you would be surprised at how often the more desperate team wins the game, especially when the more desperate team is at home. Unfiltered. I'm Garrett Cole. Oh, I would not be sitting here in front of a microphone with you if I was. I just I just got 324 million from the Yankees. It's going to be it's going to be fun to be in New York. Mitch is unfiltered. suppose we have to name episode 70 at the very end if you want some uh some local yokels episode 70 episode michael sinclair of the seahawks episode larry triplett remember larry triplett of the university of washington sure yeah play for the colts yeah yeah i got a we go episode larry triplett i got a larry triplett story off the air though to tell you because he's (laughs) kind of my age and we had some friends and yeah yeah i remember larry why this is unfiltered well there was an altercation up in canada one night okay yeah well maybe we should yeah, well, maybe we should. Let's just say, let's just say, it was good to have Larry Triplett on your side when the altercation broke out. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Episode Sam Huff, episode Artie Donovan, episode Hall of Famer Rayfield White, episode Leon Gray, episode Jim. Do you remember the name Jim Marshall? Are you too young to know the? Did he go the wrong way? He went the wrong way. Oh. Hey, Jim Marshall, he's going the wrong way with the football. That poor guy. Yeah. I, I've seen my daughter do it in basketball games. You get all excited, ah, and you go the wrong way. The, yeah, that yeah, I'm f- familiar with Jim Marshall. Yeah, and we'll have some athletes of the. I got I got the perfect athlete of the week for you. This oh, good, week. perfect. It's a it's a heart heart tugger. I'm ready. We're probably just going to name the the episode after the athletes of the week. Okay, because but no one's going to hear any of that. <laughs> you just convinced no one's yeah, going to hear. No one's listening right now. No one's going to hear my my twelve random observations of the Seahawks surviving the Panthers thirty to twenty four. I suppose I've decided that this is why people love the NFL. I was kind of comparing it before you you got here to the NBA. Is it my imagination or does it happen more in the NFL where there could be a lopsided? Would you call Sunday's game between the, C- the Seahawks and the Panthers a lopsided affair? A six-point game? Is that what you're asking me? Not at the end. I mean, while you watched it, was it lopsided? Was one team in complete control and command? Was one team clearly better than the other? And then at the end, it ended up there ended yeah. up being suspense anyway, despite all of that. Or did you not feel that the Seahawks were by far and away the they were leading thirty to seven at one point, weren't they? Or thirty to ten? No, well, it was 20, 23 to 10, and then when that interception was made that got punched out of his hands, that would have been 30, and then the route might have been on, so yeah. But they got to 30, didn't they? They got to 30 to 10. They might have. I think it was 30 to 10, yeah. and yet somehow, some way, because the NFL is the NFL, we're sweating it at the end 
Chris Carson keeps putting. How many times did Chris Carson put the game away at the end, only to have a holding? And, oh. uh, 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 I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> the, the, I'm getting there. I have one word Listen. on my refs. That's it. But I'll let you go. I'll you let you go. Want to go refs or officials? Do we call them refs or officials when it comes? Which in? one do they like the least? Refs. Oh, let's go with refs then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Russell Wilson, two touchdowns, 138 passer rating. Chris Carson went for 133 yards, which I think is a career high. Two touchdowns. Looks like Tyler Lockett's back. All right, I got random thoughts. I think I've got one, two, three, four, five. I got 12 random thoughts. Ready? I'm ready. We'll do them quickly, and then I'll go into Mr. Postseason. Okay. No one cares. <laughs> they just want Mr. Postseason. No, people are on fire for the Seahawks. Are they? Are they? Yeah, people want to hear this. Go. Right, but these are, these are random thoughts in no particular order. Okay. I wonder, number one, I wondered on Twitter, I will wonder on here. They, did, they played without Clowney, without Ansa, without Griffin, without Kendricks, without Diggs after he got hurt. A lot of guys missing on Sunday in Charlotte, North Carolina. And when I read, I think it was Friday night before I went into Richard Jewell or Saturday night, when I read that Jadavian Clowney is now a scratch, he's definitely out, I started thinking, yeah... Pete Carroll, is Pete Carroll rolling the dice in Charlotte? Is he saying, okay, we've got three or four guys, and if this were the Super Bowl, they'd play. They'd be medical, medically cleared to play. But I think we can win this game without them. I think we can win without Clowney and Ansa. I think we can win without Kendricks. I think we're going to beat Carolina, and we can steal a week or two. Maybe we even rest them against Arizona next week, and then we have them full-fledged again. Is it possible... That PD, that these guys were not, that Pete Carroll was not told by the medical staff, these guys can't play. It's just that they've just decided to take a little chance. Is that possible? Very possible. Pete Carroll doing something a little behind the scenes. Yeah, that sounds like him. And do you like that? Do you like now that they've won I like the game? It now. Now they've won the game. <laughs> yeah. Jadavian Clowney didn't have to play. Kendricks got a little bit better. Shaq Griffin didn't didn't have to play. Yep. It, it it paid if I'm right, it paid off at least for the first week. And so my my question one A of my random thoughts would be, should we just expect that a lot of these guys are not gonna play against Arizona at home on Sunday so that they could be two weeks rested before what looks like the biggie when Mr. Postseason comes around. Looks like the biggie on December twenty ninth. I think it'll depend on whether Diggs and Wagner are healthy and if they're gonna play. I think if those two play, then maybe you'll see some more. Well, Wagner uh, is a new a new one, a new addition, so is Diggs. Yeah. Boy, the, the Wagner angles. thing got me really. I was fashimled. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while since I've been that, but I was I was worried when I heard it was an ankle. I was a little less worried. Yes. I thought it was a. It looked like a knee to me. Boy, he, no, him you lying there in a thirty like the thirty to ten or thirty to seventeen game. Him lying on the field was like, oh no, this cannot be happening. Yep. Right, that's what I thought too. He was writhing in pain. It looked like yeah. too. All right, number two. Yep. Um, great to see again. Not necessarily in any order of importance okay. or chronological order. Great to see Tyler Lockett healthy and making plays. Go ahead. Flewless. Flewless Tyler Lockett. What and, a baller. And contusionless. Yes. There was the leg first. Yep. Then the uh, then the flu. Eight catches, 120. He looked like the old Tyler Lockett, and they, they need Tyler Lockett to be Tyler Lockett if they're going to go deep into the playoffs. You know that play that you've talked about that you, you've – don't know if you've seen a better catch reception combo, the one that Russell threw running to his left to tie. Oh, my God. The yes. one today might, I mean, that was a pretty. What day? You mean Sunday? Oh, sorry, the one on Sunday. Which one? The one where it just sort of fell in. I mean, he, was, he could not have been was, more oh, come on. covered. It was beautiful. How the does guy, that ball the get other, in there? The, the other guy coming, kind of cheating off of his yeah. man and coming with. It was a great play. It was a great catch. It wasn't even 
a pimple on the ass of the play that I'm talking about. All right. Okay. But that was pretty impressive that he dropped that ball in there. Well, that was Russell, and he made a nice catch, and it was great. Yeah, it was an, it was an awesome play. But Russell Wilson, how many times do we have to see it? It's an unbelievable deep pass throw. He's got unbelievable touch. He, he has the loft. He's got, it, he's got it down. He's just got it down. So that's number two. Great to see a lot. Uh, number three, before we get to Mr. Postseason, uh, don't sleep on the significance of the Josh Gordon deep catch. I want to bring that up. I think Josh Gordon had one catch on Sunday for 58 yards. Do you remember the play? Sure, I remember it. Yeah, he caught it with his fingertips. Up until that point, he, he first of all, he dove for that ball. Second of all, he was three yards behind both defenders. That was vintage Josh Gordon. That was the Josh Gordon from the Cleveland days before all of the yeah. problems started. What we had seen in New England and then here is really Josh Gordon on a slant, Josh Gordon on a slant. I think every catch just about here has been that slant. Not that the slant's not good and it gets a first yeah. down or whatever, but now that we see him get behind defenders like that, I didn't think he could do that anymore. Well, I we thought, talked about it on the podcast. I asked you, do you think he has anything left? Does he have any downfield in his tank? I don't. I wasn't there, <laughs> and I couldn't see the whole field. You know, the TV, you're watching the TV, you only just see when the, when the cameras show him. I don't know how he got open. I don't know if it was a, a screw-up by the defensive backs of Carolina that let him. But I, that was, I would, I, I was, I circled that. Him getting deep behind defenders and making a, a, a diving catch, Amazing. very important. Very important. That's number uh, number three. Number four, not necessarily in any order, the Dwayne Brown hold late in the game after it looked like the Seahawks had, had wrapped it up with a Chris Carson run. The Dwayne Brown hold. I'm Did leaving. You see it? I'm leaving. I, I can't talk about it. I can't talk about that play. That's everything you want from your O-lineman. He takes one hand and shoves a guy to the ground. <laughs> That's a hold? What am I watching? It's just the point now where if, if there's a good sorry, that's your side. If there's a guy, no, that's a, what I want. A good play is made. I don't even celebrate. I'm just waiting for the little yellow thing to pop up. Like I can't even watch football and celebrate after a good. Is play. that not the worst oh, holding call God. maybe you've ever seen in your life watching football? Have you ever? I mean, I can't imagine what could be a worse holding call than that. I can't imagine one that's worse. And I said on unless, Twitter, unless the guy wasn't even in, you know, <laughs> was on the bench. Yeah, that would, maybe you know, would be holding worse. Holding number seventy-four, and he's standing on the bench. Maybe yeah. that would be a, a worse call. But I feel like every week I see one of the worst calls I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, every week I say that. Yeah. That right. was horrendous. Number five on my uh, my my hit list, not necessarily in any order. Um, this is what I tweeted during the game. I'm going to read my tweet verbatim because I feel that strongly about it. I wrote during the game. I don't look forward to the day that the great Russell Wilson retires. However, when that day comes, I will not miss the whole snapping the ball at 0-0 on the play clock. That's what I tweeted, and I'd like to say that here on the podcast. Yeah, you've brought that up before. You don't understand why Can he we waits. just snap it with one or two? Be nice. Do you have to yeah. give me a coronary that we're going to get a delay a game on every si- – I mean, it's, this is not – I'm not bringing up, like, something that happens once or twice a game. This happens every play. It's almost like he knows what he's doing, like he's doing it on purpose. Mitch is somewhere in his house. I'm just going to drive him crazy. (laughs) I know I'm ready to go. Everybody, wait, wait, wait. I know there's nine, eight, seven. Let me just wait a... Can, can the guy just snap it with less than with, with like a second or more on the playcock? Does he have to do that to me every single time? Here's, I hate it. Here's the here's what's going to happen. He's going to wait to the last second in a playoff game, and it's going to cost him five yards. Well, it costs him five yards, I think. 
on Sunday. I think every once in a while they don't get it off, obviously. And but it costs them five yards. In a big game, it's going to happen. And then you're going to go, go crazy. Gonna right. Go that, that's the problem. It's going to happen when it really yeah, I'm matters. Gonna, I'm going to absolutely go off. I'm going <laughs> to. All right. Number six. I've said this. You say that I said that earlier on other episodes. I've also said number six, too, but I want to bring it up again. I don't like how officials now don't wait until television comes out of the commercial break to announce the replay review decision. I don't like that. Up until this year, it was absolutely 100% that when they had a review or a challenge and the TV went to commercial, the official waited, waited, TV's back, TV tells official we're back now, and then he makes the announcement. After further review, now it's like 50-50 or less that we're ever going to see the official tell us. Yeah. the we They come back and they're already in punting formation, so you know that the interception that we had that was a return for a touchdown, who was it? Who was it? Amadi. Huh? Yeah, uh, yeah, the Oregon yeah, guy. Yeah. Uh, we already know that the uh, the interception return for a touchdown was called back because they come back and they're already in punt and the yeah. guy's already made the announcement. Why can't we see that? Yeah, I'm with you. Can we please see that? Uh, I, we I, used to be able to see that. Uh, Why can't we see that anymore? I'm surprised the networks allow that. I'm, by the way, on that on that play, you got to give the refs a little credit. I hate doing it. They didn't blow it dead. No, they didn't. They, they just they let it go. Yeah, yeah. Keep the stupid whistles yeah. out of your mouth that yeah. you love so yeah. much. But I still would like to see. Yeah, it'd be nice to see it. Yeah. It's not that hard. What, what, are we saving time on a three hour and 15 minute <laughs> right. game? It's like eight seconds. Can we just yeah. see the guy say, after further review? Yeah, it'd be nice. The play starts. Is and hear the explanation, please. Thank you very much. That was number, uh, that was number six. Uh, number seven. The Josh Gordon flea flicker pass. Can we talk about that for a little bit? It just bit. did not feel necessary at that moment, did it? Just what, didn't feel necessary. That was the most strange or the strangest call of the year by Brian Schottenheimer. I'm going to tell you why I think it's strange. Okay. First of all, <laughs> I, mean, I don't I, see you. My arms are up. <laughs> what the okay. hell? Okay. Yeah, where do you start okay. with this one? Okay, well, where I start is that play works when you are a team that routinely tosses the ball backwards to receivers on end arounds. Great observation, yes. Right. Okay, that's – you have to either – you don't even have to do it in the game that you're playing, but it's got to be on – the Seahawks never – yeah, they toss it forwards and sometimes it's on a fly sweep sometimes, right. but they don't ever toss it backwards. There's no demonstration. There's no example of that. There's nothing on film. that Josh Gordon has never gone behind the quarterback <laughs> since he's gone to Seattle. Right. Why all of a sudden do they think, okay, we're tossing it to Josh Gordon. Everybody's going to think he's running. So now let him throw into the into the end yeah. zone. And may, that made no sense. You have to set that play up. That that play yeah. has got to be set up by multiple occasions where you toss the ball backwards to a receiver who then runs and then runs and then runs and then runs and then one time he doesn't run, he throws. Yeah, you. The, but we uh, don't do the, the. You got to do the first part of it. You can't. You can't do the. You can't have the dessert. You can't have Mr. Postseason without hearing yeah. the. I guess you can. You fast forward right through. Yeah, that's true. Podcast yeah. world. But it's like I say about the, the, the read option when they would run it with, with Eason. He never keeps it. Who are you fooling? Right. Why even that's bother? Ex- that's exactly yeah. right. <laughs> uh, there's got to be a rule that before you have a wide receiver take a pitch and throw it, you have to have at least tossed it to the receiver one time in his life and have him run so that the defense thinks run when you toss it to him. Right? So the offensive coordinator can take a look and, and say, okay, the clear? defense Are we in agreement on this? Yes, of okay. course. Yeah. Stupid. That yeah. was a whole stu- – and I think Brian Schottenheimer, by the way, has had a great year. 
a great, great year calling plays. I do. Yeah. But that was I, I don't know. That was silly. That was silly. Um, number but, eight, CJ Procise. Oh boy, I, I knew this was coming. I knew it was coming. No one touched him, and he fumbled. I'm done. Yeah, somebody did touch him, thank God. Oh, barely, yes. But he didn't know. <laughs> Bruce Irvin, by the way, former Seahawk. I'm done. I, I, I've been done with C.J. Procise for a long time. Okay, the New England game, he was great. Five years ago, six years, whenever yeah, four, it was, yeah. on Sunday night, I, I'm just... He had a nice catch out of the backfield. He, he did what I'm C.J. Done. does. When they hand him the ball, does he have any kind of... Juki, does he have any kind of explosiveness? Does he have any kind of first step? Do you have any? There's, is there any redeeming quality to CJ Procise when they hand him the ball? Anything? It doesn't look like it, does it? There's got to be something there that we're not seeing. But yeah, when he gets the ball, if the hole's not there, he's toast. God, they should have moved on from CJ Procise years ago. Yeah. I'm ready for the Travis Homer era. I, I'm with Let you. him be the backup. Let's he, see what he's got. He had two carries for one yard. He's still averaging <laughs> 10 yards a carry thanks to that fake punt. <laughs> 10 yards a carry. Who wouldn't play him? All right, number nine. It took three weeks, but I finally got a lined-up offsides call. I've been bitching oh, and moaning yeah. about and how big – was my lined-up offsides call on Sunday yeah. and against the Carolina Panthers. How big? Do you remember the play that it negated? No, I don't, but I remember them getting called for it. How about a strip sack? Oh, that's right. How yeah. about a sack and a strip and they offsides lined up in the neutral zone? Three weeks ago, I've been waiting for this. I've shown you. Tweeting pictures, yes, the whole thing. Yes, <laughs> I've finally gotten a call. And nice. it's number nine on my list. Number ten. I've said Jason, I've said uh, CJ Procise. I'd say for number 10, Jason Myers. Okay, he missed one extra point. How many extra points now is that for the year? I think it's four. They're called extra points. Right, but they did move it back from what we remember, so it's a little bit further. We can't rely on Jason Myers. If you are a guy who sees a glass half, half empty like me, mm-hmm. you are convinced that Jason Myers is going when they get eliminated from the playoffs it will be because of Jason Myers. No, he's not that. He's not he's that. He's going guy. to miss an extra point or a short field goal in a game. You know he doesn't have a lot of confidence. There's going to be a big moment. A big moment is coming and I am fearful for my life and for the Seahawks <laughs> life. I'm telling you, this is not going the right way and you're going to be in that chair the day the day that it happens and you're going to look at me and you're going to go he said, I'm telling you, this is not going right with Jason Myers. But did he rebound from that horrible game he had? He has rebounded. A little bit. Okay. But it's still in there. The push, the shove out to the right. Yeah. Even there was another extra point that he just barely <laughs> snuck in between. Yes, I, I'm, I'm telling you, this is not good. A couple side notes on that really quick. What a yeah. great move by the NFL moving those back, though, because people do miss them more than they used to. Remember, the other one was, what, 17 yards? Right, right. I think it's cool. I like it. Of course. Yeah, it's great. Of course. And I'm curious, are there microphones in those goalposts, or does it just ring louder to me when— No, I think there's a microphone near the goalpost. It sounds yeah. so loud. Here, here's, here's the funny thing about extra points. Okay. Is it my imagination—so the extra point is a what? It's a 32-yard field goal? Where is it from? I think it's the 15 to the 22 to the 23. I think it's a 32, 33-yarder. Okay. Why does it seem like when the extra points were at the two, no one ever missed a 32 or 33-yard field goal? Now that extra points are 32 or 33-yard field goal, when they're worth one, they miss them. 
But when there were three, they don't. Is it my imagination or are they missing way more 32 or 33 yard extra points than they ever missed 32 or 33 yard field goals because of the psychology that a guy knows he's got to make? Well, this is a, this is an extra point. There's you no have, room you for have error. To make, yeah. No, you have to make this. Yeah. He's going to make this. You might be right. I, I, somebody's got to check the numbers on me. I may be <laughs> wrong. I may be wrong, and I'll. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Maybe that's for Thursday's episode 70p, but. Well, it maybe because I just see everyone when they, it, it feels like they're mi- missing more extra points than they used to miss thirty-two yard field goals. No, it just it seems that way. But me. isn't all sports psychological? I mean, that's what separates the great. I mean, look I at guess. golfers. If you pulled twenty guys from the PGA, they could probably all hit at three ten or whatever. They could all. You know, they're all great. But when it really matters, it's the psychological part. It's the same with kickers, probably. But doesn't the three-point thirty-two yard field goal really matter? Or does the extra point matter well, like, more? Well, like you said, there's no room for error with with the extra point. Like it's extra point, you have to make this. You have to make that. You have to, yeah. So I think there's. But more. you kind of have to make a 32 yard yeah, field too. I guess it does feel like they're missing a lot though. Last uh, number, last uh, item up for bids. Two tacos at Taco Time. Oh, is that where you're finishing? Yeah. All right, there you go. Come on, Chris Carson. How did he look to you on Sunday? How Chris Carson looks did he like run a, hard? He looks like a good running back. How many yards did he lose at the end of the game by Fakakta holding plenities that didn't happen on <laughs> yeah. Dwayne Brown? The guy could have finished with 150, 160. Does he run hard? How about the second touchdown where he carries the guy into the end zone? That that five yard touchdown he had Come was about on. as good as it gets. Is Chris Carson not the epitome of a hard nosed running back? Badass. And he gets us two free tacos. Come join me. <laughs> I'll come to Redmond. I will come to Redmond if you'll join me for your t- you're not going to do it I will come to Re- wherever it is that you do it yeah. I will bring them to you. Uh, you do you work at the Microsoft facility you have a different office yes I work at the Microsoft campus do you yes. want do you want I won't, they in. won't let me at the front door yeah well it took me a while I, I'll bring the I'll tell you what I'll bring the two free tacos <laughs> from taco time <laughs> at right. all locations all everybody right. gets free tacos it's the holiday season I'll bring them to the front gate when they say hey None of your kind is allowed in here. You're going to have to. And I'll leave them for you. You got to catapult them over for me like a prison yard so I can get them. That'd be great. Two free tacos at Taco Time. Thanks to Chris Carson, ladies and gentlemen. One thing you didn't mention, I want to see what you thought about DK Metcalf. I know people are sort of split on him. He has horrible hands. No, I think people now have have settled into thinking that he is the best rookie receiver in the National Football League. And maybe in the history of the Seahawks? Rookie receiver? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Joey Galloway. I don't know. I don't know who would that who would that be? I don't know. Brian yeah, don't Blades. Know. Brian Blades was good, yeah. yeah. He was good, yeah. But Metcalf, when he caught that touchdown, and I, I hate to bring this up, it looked like he sort of caught it with his wrist and his the palm. It didn't look like a clean catch. I, I like, don't want to discuss it unless he dropped it. Okay, fair if enough. He dropped fair it, enough. We'll discuss it. He caught it. Uh, I'm re- I'm ready for Mr. Post. Do you have other things that you want to that I did I did I miss anything else in my random thoughts? Or do you want to go to Mr. Postseason? Let's go to Mr. Postseason. Mr. Postseason. Mark it down, Mr. Postseason starts. Now now this is is not the official Mr. Postseason, as you know. The official yeah, Mr. Know. Postseason is 70p on Thursday when Mr. Postseason can sit at taco time with his two free tacos and really understand the Monday night game between the Saints and the Colts and the, Sunday, the Sunday night, night game. Yeah. I mean, Mr. Postseason needs all of the results from weekend number whatever it was 15 before he can do the official Mr. Postseason segment. But everybody's everybody wants oh, to know it's all over twitter everybody it's all i wants. can do to keep my nose out of every conversation <laughs> i see <laughs> i mean i can imagine what you must feel keeping your nose uh, out of it uh, <laughs> how could i not how could i not i mean it must be impo- you turn your computer on you're in someone's conversation i mean just based on that alone no i meant from your knowledge of course your knowledge you must want to jump in every conversation let me know when you're done making fun <laughs> of the schnoz by the way did you still do daily schnoz at the end that bit we yeah. Did like in 97? You continued that all the way through the show? Of course. Oh, every okay. day. 
because I was thinking about the. Uh, it's called the Daily Schnoz. Well, I didn't know if you still did it. We did yeah. it in like '97, so I, I didn't know. know. Okay, I'm just checking. Come up with anything new? <laughs> okay, that's what I was wondering. God. All right, go ahead. We just got finished saying that I did stump the band for 22 years. That's why I was asking about this too. We talked about stump the band on episode 69. <laughs> All right, Mr. Postseason, where would you like Mr. Postseason to start? This is a this is a brief but a very accurate rendition of Mr. Postseason. Where are the Seahawks now as a result of their Sunday victory over the Carolina Panthers? Well. They're 11 and 3, and you can say it now, ladies and gentlemen, the Seattle Seahawks. Little X by their name. It's impressive, right? The playoffs, I mean. 11 and 3. Good season. Before the season started, if I would have offered you 11 and 3 through 14, you would have said, oh my God, I've died and gone to heaven. That's, That's right. better than Jennifer Aniston. That's right. It's been a strange year, by the way. I looked today. Their average margin of victory is less than six points. That's per right, game. because they win. They only win close. Their biggest they blowout. Play, they play to the level of their opponent. Was seventeen points against uh, the Arizona. Like they, that, they don't beat the crap out of anybody. Yeah, and when they are beating the crap out of somebody, like they were on Sunday, they let them back in the yeah, game. That's true. They were up too. thirty to ten. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the game was over, and that, and yet we're still sweating it at the end, and we need a first down and holding calls for Cocta holding calls again. <laughs> Cody Barton's in there letting people catch the ball all, all over. Right. Here's, here's what you need to know. Here are the nuts and bolts, and then I'll give everything to you on Thursday's uh, 70P. But here are the nuts and bolts. The Seahawks are 11-3. and three. Now, you had a tr- you had trouble with Mr. Postseason last time out. Most times, but go on, yes. Yeah, but last time, for some reason, you weren't following Mr. Postseason. Yeah. And I thought Mr. Postseason on 69P was very clear and easy. Oh, and you really? Just, you, <laughs> didn't, you didn't follow Mr. Well, it's Postseason. not. I mean, to be fair to you, I don't listen to most things people say, so it's hard for me to focus. <laughs> so it's not, it's not just you. Just we, so have you. Some, we have some ADHD medicine in the <laughs> no, cabinet if you want some. They're 11-3. They've got two games left against the Cardinals and against the 49ers. Here's what we know for sure, okay? okay? What we know for sure is the Seahawks control their own, you want to call it fate or destiny, somebody corrected my English, they say it's fate and not destiny. If the Seahawks win the last two, they finish 13-3. and three. They are NFC West champs, no matter what the 49ers do. If the Seahawks win the next two, they are, four, they are NFC West champs and in terms of the entire NFC, they are either the one or the two seed. That's and guaranteed with the next two wins. Guaranteed. Okay. They can be, they cannot be worse than the number two wow. seed with two wins against the Cardinals and against the 49ers at home. And for those Got who it? for those who love the number one, we talked about two might be better this year. So we take either one. Take either one. The, and, you know, and I think most of our listeners understand that you want to be the one or the two because those are the two teams that get buys the first week get a home playoff game the second week and only have to win two games to get to the Super Bowl. Much easier to win two games to get to the Super Bowl. So you are guaranteed number two or number one if you win the last two games and finish 13-3. and Ask me how it is they would finish number two in that scenario and how it is they finish number one. Ask me, Hotshot. How would they finish number two in that scenario? Okay, there's only one. I'm glad you asked me that first. Okay. Because there's only one scenario where they win their last two games and they are not the number one seed or the number two seed. There's only one possible scenario. And that is they win the last two. This is if they win the last two. Okay. The Saints win their last, at the time of this recording, three, okay. including Monday night or against the Colts. And the Packers lose a game or more. 
And so the Saints and the Seahawks are both division winners at 13-3. They are in a two-team tiebreaker, and the Seahawks will be the number two seed by virtue of the earlier season Teddy Two-Glove win <laughs> yeah. over the Seahawks. Ball to the schnoz. That's the only way that a Seahawks team that wins the last two is not the number one overall seed. Which what I'm saying to you is, if they win the last two, only one of the following two scenarios has to happen. Either the Saints don't win the last three, which means lose one, any one, Indianapolis on Monday night, at Tennessee, where Tennessee's gonna have to have it next weekend, and then at Carolina, the last game of the season. They've got to, if either they lose one, or, 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 the Packers win their last two, they've got the Vikings and the Lions. If the Packers win the last two, or the Saints lose one, with the Seahawks winning their last two, the Seahawks are the number one seed in the NFC. Ask me now, why is it that they can finish with a tie with the Saints, a three-team tie, but not a two-team tie? Ask me, and I'll explain. So it the, to the you. three-team tie would be the Saints and the Packers. You're, you're asking. That's right. I, that's what I I'm know saying. the answer because I listen. Because you listen. Yes. Okay. The Seahawks lose a two-team tiebreaker to the Saints at 13-3 because the first tie-breaking process is head-to-head and they lost to them. But as soon as a third team ends up in the tie, which means if the Saints are going to win out, then we want the Packers to win out and the Seahawks to win out. Then now we've got a three-team tie. The first question in the three-team tie is the same. Head-to-head, has either team beaten the other two or has any team lost to the other two and fallen out? The answer is no. So the Seahawks lost to the Saints, if it's a three-team tiebreaker, doesn't matter. It nullifies that, that, right. that tiebreaker. So the, what we do to, 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 tie, to, to do the tiebreaker with the three teams is we go to the next tiebreaker. The next tiebreaker is conference record. In this scenario, the Saints would have one more conference loss than the Packers and the Seahawks. The Saints in this scenario would have three conference losses. The Packers and the Seahawks in this scenario would have two. So the Saints fall. The Saints are out of the number one seed in a three-team tiebreaker. Now who's left? Packers and the Seahawks. Packers, have, have they played each other? They have not. They would have the same conference record, okay? It would get to the tiebreaker between the Packers and Seahawks would be very simple in this scenario. There's common opponents tiebreaker. They have played five games. They will have played five games against common opponents. In this scenario, the Packers will be three and two in those games. They lost to Philadelphia. They lost to the Niners. And in this scenario, the Seahawks will have beaten the Niners twice because you're winning the last two, right? The Packers and the common opponents tiebreaker would be three and two. The Seahawks would be five and zero in the common opponents. So Saints drop, then the Seahawks beat the Packers. Seahawks number one, and then the Packers go against the Saints for the number two. Packers will beat the Saints in the number two, and the Saints will fall to the three. So here's a Saints team. Let's look at it from the Saints perspective. We haven't done that. If they win the rest of their games and finish thirteen and three, oh, it's a great year. I mean, we're gonna be number one overall. Right, right. If we finish in a two-way tie with the Seahawks. We're the number one seed. If we finish in a three-way tie with the Seahawks and Packers, we're the number three seed. 
We it's don't even amazing. go to number two. We go down to number three They're, just by the Packers getting involved in the, in the deal. That, the Packers are the proverbial turd in the punch bowl that we talked about. They can screw everything up for the Saints if the Packers They're get the in They're the turd in the Saints punch yeah, bowl. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. They yeah. are everything for the Seahawks. The <laughs> Seahawks are big Packers fans, especially if the Seahawks are going to win the next two games. Now, you could create a scenario where you, I would tell you, well, the Seahawks are not big Packers fans against the Lions the last game of the season if the Seahawks are going to lose – they're going to lose in between now and then. Well, that, that changes things, okay? Okay. So so there's there's what we know about the Seahawks should they win the last two. Now tell everybody at the time of this recording, tell Mr. Postseason what everybody's arguing about. Yeah. Because I, no one expected, except for somebody who told you a few weeks ago, the Falcons might go out there after the Falcons beat the Saints. It's true. You did. You said they're playing better. They're playing better. They yep. might. It's in between. The, the 49ers are going to be playing. They will have just played the Saints. They're going to play the Rams and the Seahawks coming up. It's that game in between. Yeah, weird trap just game. caught them. And who, what, what the hell happened on Sunday? The Falcons and Dan Quinn ran right in there and beat them. So now as a result of that game on Sunday, what is the, oh. the, Twitter, the Twitter world and social media? No one understands. Let Mr. Postseason help you. Thank okay? you very much. Yeah. Because on Twitter, I'm seeing all the Seahawks have to do is win next week and the Niners lose next week and then that last game of the year in Seattle means nothing for Seattle they have already clinched that's what I'm seeing all over Twitter let let, let me let me go back that's not what you really mean to say the means nothing the means nothing you mean for the NFC NFC West West. yeah yeah They've clinched that, it. That's big. That that that's a big distinction. We have to first do away with it. It's, you got to add that. It means nothing. People are saying that it will mean nothing for the NFC West. It's gonna. It very well could mean number one seed, two seed, three seed. No True. matter what. whether yeah, they yeah. clinch before that game, they might need to win that game to beat New Orleans to get a bye to have home field advantage. Yeah. The Packers, right? That that game very likely will mean a lot no matter what. But you're asking, Mr. Postseason, is it possible? Like everybody is saying on Twitter that the Seahawks could clinch, or that's not what you're asking. You're not asking if it's possible. You're, you're hearing that. I'm seeing that that's it, it, what it, will happen. That is totally incorrect. It's totally incorrect. And it's it's just shocking as I watch the national games and you watch the national, and people saying, hey, the Packers winning today hurts the Seahawks. I heard that on the They don't have any idea that that's, not, that's actually not true. I mean, yeah. there is so much misinformation out there. People so, don't go. I don't, I don't think they go deeper than like one or two tiebreakers, like you do. No, I, I don't think anybody goes to any tiebreaker. Oh, okay. They just, they, it's just too lazy. So let's talk about what you're asking. Okay. Can the the answer is? So the two questions are: stay out of your computer. Well, no, I want to read you exactly a, a tweet that I saw. Okay. If Seattle beats the Cards and the 49ers lose to the Rams, the Seahawks win the division regardless of what's happened. Categorically in the- incorrect. Okay. But could be true. Okay. So let's talk about first of all. The, the choice of words. Could they clinch with the right set of circumstances if the Seahawks win next week against the Cardinals and the 49ers lose to the Rams? Could they clinch before they they face the 49ers and not have to win that game for the NFC West? For the NFC West. They could. Okay. But to say that it's a guarantee is absolutely 100% wrong. Regardless of what happens in Week 17, I'm reading. It's 100% wrong. Okay, that's why I'm here. Wrong. Well, let's, let's talk about it. Let's break okay. it down. Okay. Okay, so the two teams have the same record as we sit here tonight. Yep. Right? And who holds the who holds the tiebreaker right now? Right now, the Seahawks do because they beat them head-to-head. Okay. If the Seahawks... So what you're really asking me is, if the Seahawks win next week and the Rams 
beat the, the 49ers. Yeah. Can the Seahawks lose to the 49ers in the last game of the season and still be NFC West champs? Yes, that's The answer I mean. is, yes, they could, but we don't know. And in fact, I would say they're an underdog at this point, at this point for that scenario to happen. Why? All right, let's talk about this scenario. In the scenario where the Seahawks win next week, the 49ers lose next week, and let's just say the Seahawks play the 49ers and the 49ers beat them. Okay. Let's talk about the tiebreaker. What would the two records, this is just for the NFC West, what would the two records be? They'd be 12 and 4. Okay. And First tiebreaker would be head, head to, to head. head, which they would split. That'd be a tie. You got to go to the Second next one. Second tiebreaker is divisional record. They both would be 4 and 2 in the division. Next. Okay. <laughs> We're going to get to. We're going to get to common opponents, and they're going to be tied. We're going to get to conference record, and they're going to be tied. We're going to get to strength of victory. Now, everybody should have heard of strength of victory before. Yep. Strength of victory is merely taking all the teams that you have beaten, looking at their records, getting a winning percentage, and comparing it to the teams that the 49ers will have beaten. Okay? All the, all the teams you've beaten. All the teams you've beaten, okay. not the ones you've lost. Okay. In this scenario... There will be three differences of victories, three different teams. They will have had 12 wins each. Nine of them would have been the same, including one against each other. That's right. Yep. We would come down to three games, the, the, the 10th, 11th, and 12th victories for the Niners and their records, those opponents' those opponents' records, and the 10th, 11th, and 12th records for the Seahawks. Okay? The, the, the opponents, the wins, their records. Those three teams are... The Seahawks beat the Eagles. The Niners beat the Redskins. The Seahawks beat the Atlanta Falcons, which, of course, the Niners didn't do. Yeah. Unfortunately, the Niners in that division beat the Saints, which the Seahawks didn't, didn't do. do. Yeah. And finally, the Seahawks beat the Minnesota Vikings of the NFC North, and the 49ers beat the Green Bay Packers. Essentially, the answer to the tie would be, are the three teams, the Vikings, the Eagles, and the Falcons combined records for the Seahawks, which is better, their winning percentage, or the other, the three victims of the 49ers, which would be the Saints, the Packers, and the Redskins. Redskins. As of the time of this recording... The, those three opponents of the Niners actually have two more wins than those of the Seahawks. So right now, if everything stayed the same and consistent, the 49ers would actually be in position to win that tiebreaker if the Seahawks win against the Cardinals, the Niners lose against the Rams, and then the Niners beat the Seahawks. Right now, it looks like, if everything stays the same, that the Seahawks would lose that tiebreaker. Do you understand, based on the combined record of those three opponents that the 49ers beat versus the three opponents that the Seahawks beat that the 49ers didn't? Do you have that so far? I do, but I have a question. Okay. When the Seahawks go into that game against the 49ers, I think it's 125, Mm -hmm. will we know at that Mm -hmm. point the combined records? And the answer to that is if the NFL doesn't shift game times. Okay, so all those teams are going early. Every one of those six Whoa. games at this moment are scheduled for 10 a.m. Pacific time. So going into that game, we will – now, all, remember, all of this is about the Rams beating the 49ers and the Seahawks beating the Cardinals. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I got you. Okay, if that doesn't happen, then none of this really matters much. Okay. Okay. We're only talking about if the Niners lose again to the Rams next week and the Seahawks. But, yes. And now 
Is it possible, based on the schedule, that that could shift? That the Seahawks' strength of victory could could yes. Is it possible that the Seahawks could have clinched before that that 125 game? On yes, clinch the division. Yeah, because because the Eagles could start could real the Eagles look like they could win a couple more. The Vikings play the Packers would be a huge game because the Packers represent swing. the Niners yep. game and the Vikings represent the Seahawks and that game is in Minneapolis. One point there, swing there's, there. There's a New Orleans team that could lose on Monday night to Indianapolis. There's a New Orleans team that could lose at Tennessee. So yes, I and then that, that Sunday week. So yes, there is a possibility that the Seahawks could clinch the division in your scenario where the Niners lose to the Rams and the Seahawks beat the Cardinals in Week 16. Yes, that could happen. There's a lot to root for on Sunday. I mean, before the Seahawks game, right? You got all these games going. Tons. It's going to be amazing. But only if the Seahawks beat the Cardinals and the Rams beat the Niners. So let me tell you, as I close this abbreviated, believe it or not, this is an abbreviated version of Mr. (laughs) Postseason. Before I close it, do you think that that's clear to everybody? Did I do a good enough job? Does everybody understand that? Did I answer the the debate? Is the debate now answered? Is it put away? Well, no. I'm not going to stick my nose in no, the No, no, I'm it, just asking you. Yes, and you're, and you're, you answered, yeah. You so now he's wrong. understand. Yes, he's wrong, and you explained why. The the notion that the Seahawks will automatically clinch if they win next week and the Niners lose, that they automatically clinch the NFC West no matter what else happens in the world, is wrong. Okay. That, that statement That's what I to know. is categorically incorrect. But it is correct to say that they could clinch based on what all these, these six – everything is about these six – teams i gave you the six i'll give them to you again we're rooting again you're rooting against new orleans you're rooting against green bay but you're kind of rooting for green bay in one way you're rooting for green bay one way you're rooting against green bay and then you've got the uh the washington redskins uh you you want the redskins and packers and saints to lose in terms of this strength of victory and you want the eagles to win you want the vikings to win you want the uh, the Falcons to win. So that's where the dispute lies. So ask me to conclude. So what really what really changed with the 49ers losing unexpectedly to the Falcons? Mitch, if you're telling me that we still don't know that we can clinch even if they lose next week and we win next week, what, what, what really happened? What really happened? Yeah. In that loss for the 49ers to the Falcons. Yeah, why was I clapping in my car when the 49ers yeah, yeah. lost? Did it well, mean something anything? Did, yeah, something did happen. Okay. Had the 49ers won that game, okay, and the 49ers beaten the Rams, and the Seahawks lost to the Cardinals, the division would be over. The 49ers will have clinched. The Seahawks, before the Niners lost that game to the Falcons, were thinking, we've got to win both. Now they don't have to. Now they don't have to. There's no scenario now. The Seahawks, at worst, as a result of the 49ers' loss to the Falcons, Mm -hmm. the Seahawks, at worst, will play for the NFC West title on December 29th. There's no way the 49ers can close them out now Yeah. because the best that they could do is get up by one game and the Seahawks could still beat them and and win two both head-to-heads and end up in a tie and win. So you've now guaranteed yourself no worse worse than a chance to win the division on Week 17. So it mattered. That game mattered. That 49er game mattered. It does. Okay, good. All right. I promise I'll give you more on Thursday. I can't believe you have any more, but... Oh, I will. I don't have it yet. i got to go to Taco Time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
Four good guests and then the other stuff. Hotshot, it's the holiday season, so why not save money with your mortgage and do what executive producer Steve Dion did by calling Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage? Yeah, I gave uh, Jordan a buzz in uh, late July. Um, was interested to get a uh, quote on a refi, um, just the way the market has been with, with interest rates dropping as they have. Kind of tailored a, a mortgage around my preferences. One of the main parts that was appealing was the fact that he was able to cut out my mortgage insurance. Uh, he bought that out completely, um, really consolidated the loan into one clean monthly payment, amortized over a shorter time horizon and at a lower rate. Really easy process. You know, I'm working with Jordan and Christina there. Not not bad for a coog, you know. I I was uh, hesitant to put my uh, put my dollars and cents into uh, the hands of a, a Wazoo grad, but. You know, it all turned out t- turned out well th- thus far. From beginning to end, Steve, how long did it take? It took about a month total. How long was the first phone conversation until you determined what you could save per month? It's about a 15-minute call. When you include the mortgage insurance, how much less are you paying per month now on a percentage basis thanks to the refi with the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage? I'm paying about 8 to 10% less a month. On top of that, uh, we'll be paying for five less years. So it's kind of a win-win on both both sides. So my line on the podcast that you're crazy not to call the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage with the low interest rates at the moment, just to find out what you could be saving in a refinance is on point. Well, it's valid unless you want to spend more money every month. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> oh, and Mitch, one last thing. Where's my Tumblr? (laughs) There it is. Stop standing on the sidelines. Guild Mortgage and the Kirkland office at 425-250-3150. Unfiltered. And now on second down, Wilson to the end zone. DK Metcalf makes the catch for a Seahawks touchdown. Second down and five off the fake to McCaffrey. Allen's pass picked up. Under pressure, and it's KJ Wright with his second interception on consecutive possessions. So it is now fourth and one. It is Carson, and he will pick up the first down and a touchdown. First down and then some is what you mean. How about that? To put this season together on the road is. Um something to be proud of it's hard to do this and and, uh it's really important to us we don't know what's going to happen next but if we get a chance to play again in postseason we may have to go on the road and we will have done everything we could to be ready for that it was really excited to see uh uh, tyler rocket get back in action and really be a factor chris carson did a great job today which really just tells you about the guys up front guys up front consistently have been been moving the line of scrimmage there wasn't a sweeter play than, than going for it on fourth down trying to get the first down and they knocked everybody in the end zone and got us a touchdown on that play there was some phenomenal plays. The catch that, that Josh made is as good as a catch as you could ever see, I would think. Episode 70 continues with our conversation. Brady Henderson's going to join us, ESPN and ESPN.com. Seahawks Insider. It's all brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions, reminding you football season, winter, December, Christmas, fireplace season. Start your fireplace shopping with Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. 
How would you characterize, Brady, before we begin and look ahead to the final two weeks, the final stretch run and a chance to win the NFC West and get the top seed overall in the NFC? It was a lopsided performance for a long time that made us sweat at the end, right? Yeah, and I would say that under usual circumstances, you would look at this game and the fact that you know they needed that final drive to, to seal away you know a six-point win over a bad team that has, you know, backup quarterback, interim head coach, all that, you know, you would, under normal circumstances, you might kind of look at that and maybe be a little bit discouraged. I would say under the circumstances the Seahawks were dealing with Sunday with missing all those guys on defense, uh, they were missing, I think, three starters plus Ziggy Ansah on defense going into that game, and then they lost Quandre Diggs uh, and Bobby Wagner late in that game. So I think under those circumstances, you look at it as, hey, that's yeah, you shouldn't feel too bad about that. That that's a road win gets them to seven road wins on the season, and um, you know there's obviously a chance that they may be home for the playoffs and an even better chance with everything that happened Sunday. Uh, but if they have to go on the road, just does not seem quite as daunting uh, as maybe it would have in previous seasons. Well, going on the road for one game in the playoffs is one thing. Going on the road for three straight games to get to the Super Bowl is entirely a, a different thing. Brady, let's go back to the guys that didn't play. I speculated on Twitter, probably irresponsibly, but so I apologize. Clowney, Ansa, Shaq Griffin, Kendricks, and then Diggs gets hurt. You talk about Bobby Wagner. How many of these guys do you think truly could not play? Truly were just not medically cleared to play. If it was the Super Bowl on Sunday, they would not have been medically cleared to play. And how how much of a consideration is it what I speculated about, which is maybe Pete Carroll thinks, look at. I can win this game. I can win this game without Clowney. I can win the game without Ansa. I'm going to I'm gonna roll the dice here, try to win this game, maybe even do something similar against the Cardinals so that I can get these guys some rest and ready for December the 29th. You think that's you think that theory is just too skeptical and cynical, or do you think it's in play here? I think it's possible. I mean, he, he did make the point that, um, you know, none of those guys, he said that I think he was talking about Shaquille Griffin and, and Kendricks, uh, and Luke Wilson, and he said that if they if they could have played, they would have played. And you know, I, I I that that thought has merit certainly with you know the situation they're in right now. But I also don't think Carroll is really wired to to want to sit guys and not go for it with everything he has. And um, you know, he he gave the impression that Luke Wilson definitely will play uh, this week against Arizona, and he said that Ansa and Kendricks have a good chance. Um, now, as far as Quadre Diggs and Bobby Wagner, both ankle sprains. Uh, for those guys, Carroll didn't really know much, a whole lot about the severity of them post game, um, but he did say that Diggs appeared to be the the worst of the two. And um, you know, I can tell you, Bobby Wagner. I mean, he was not, not. Neither of those guys were able to finish the game, but Wagner was, you know, in pretty good spirits afterwards. He was joking around uh, with teammates, with with us, and during his press conference. Um, he said that you know he, it gave him a little bit of a scare, but he said he'll be fine. And um, yeah, I was I actually watched him walk from his post game press conference back to the locker room just because I wanted to see if he had a limp, and there was no limp. So, okay, good, um, good, just yeah. a scare. So I, I want to make sure that I understand this. So you believe? So Brady Henderson believes as we're sitting here and having this nice conversation in episode seventy, you believe that if Sunday were the Super Bowl instead of the game against Carolina. Clowney, Ansa, Shaq Griffin, and Kendricks would not have played if Sunday was the Super Bowl. Well, I mean, with I, I think Kendricks. I, I don't think Kendricks would have played. He, I don't even okay. think he was able to practice. Would last Clowney week. have played if it were the Super Bowl? Boy, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> you know. What, 
One of the reasons Carroll said, you know, he, he did say that they didn't want to they didn't want to bring him on the plane just because he was violently ill uh, Friday and he was apparently threw up in practice. And so uh, maybe part of the concern there was, yeah, maybe he does get better by game time. But in the meantime, you take that five hour flight and, and you're sort of you know in a plane with a sick guy, which is maybe would be less of a consideration. Um, Super Bowl. Do you think the Clowney will play? You mentioned all the other guys. Do you think the Clowney will play against Arizona on Sunday or is he real iffy? I do. I, uh, yeah, I would think so, just because it, okay. it, it sounds like it, it was, um, you know, we, we've seen guys uh, sort of deal with whatever flu bug was going around the locker room, and um, it, it really wasn't like a two-week thing. It was kind of, you know, just that, right. that week. It was mostly that week of, of uh, Thanksgiving, and then whoever had it got better, but they also sort of passed it on to other people. So, right, so I, I would think he'll, he'd be in good shape. All right, so you're not – so Clowney, it's more about the flu than it is the hernia. Yeah, well, he's certainly dealing with both, but but the reason the the reason he didn't play in this game was was more so the flu. Yeah. How do you think the defense or whatever did, it is? That he, uh, how did you think the defense did as a result? I know I know late Carolina went down against some prevent defenses, scored, made a game of it, but for the most part, how do you think that the Seahawks defense did with a lot of the younger guys getting some substantial snaps? I know they didn't get a lot of hits on the quarterback, but you even have a stat about that. Yeah, yeah. So the the stat was uh, it was two point five three seconds and that's how long that was the average time uh that kyle allen took to throw the ball and that was the second quickest time uh among all quarterbacks this week so that was really indicative of um their game plan and how quickly the ball came out and and really they they did what you would expect them to do with a backup quarterback uh and an mvp running back and christian mccaffrey mvp caliber running back which was not a lot of deep shots, really a lot of underneath throws, a lot of screen passes. And um, so the Seahawks only finished with three hits on Allen, three official hits on Allen. Uh, but really, that's that you got to consider that more of a function of uh, what the what Carolina was trying to do on offense. And one of those hits uh, was a really nice play by Jaron Reed to, to really break through the line, and um, and he got to Allen and forced that errant throw that I believe resulted in KJ Wright's second interception. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know for the defense when you consider that look. You know, they are, we're already starting Akeem King at left cornerback. Um, and by the end of that game, they had a bunch of guys there that are really not regular players for them. Um, you know, once Wagner went down and once Quandre Diggs went down. So, all in all, I think you consider it a pretty good day to get three takeaways like that, um, albeit against a, a backup quarterback. I think that's pretty good. Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com bring you our chat with Brady Henderson, the ESPN and ESPN.com Seahawks insider. Let's talk about the running game. I had a funny feeling because Carolina was not good against the run defensively that Chris Carson was going to have an all-time day. He had 133 yards and a couple of touchdowns. He he lost some yards late because of some questionable holding calls, one in particular against against Dwayne Brown. The backup running back spot will be a, a source of conversation again this week. C.J. Procise with the phantom fumble that almost was really, really costly and made a game of this. And then we didn't see much from Procise afterward. Do you think it's Homer's job next week or is it Procise? Uh, what do you think uh, Pete Carroll and the coaching staff is going to do? No, I, I don't think that, that you know almost losing that fumble is going to cost C.J. Procise that number two job. There's a reason why they have sort of planned on him taking that job over Homer. It's because Homer's a rookie six-round pick who, you know, before Sunday, his only NFL carry was on a fake punt. Um, so uh, certainly a play that really almost cost them um, when they were sort of in position to really run away with that game, and that fumble um, could have, uh, you know, the, that it could have gone a lot differently had the officials not ruled that he was down there. So. Um, 
but yeah, I think it's going to be pro safe until until. But will notice. it? Cha- well, might it change the dynamic about how much they take Carson off the field? Maybe not against Arizona, but when it comes to the 49ers game, might they leave Carson on the field for a series or two more than they ordinarily would because of maybe some lack of confidence in the backup role? That could be. I, I just think it's going to be the, the way it really was for pretty much the the last season and a half before they really started getting Penny Moore involved. Um, you, know, you saw games this season where Carson was playing 80% of the snaps, and really, you know, Penny, they only brought him in for a handful of snaps. And so um, I think I think they're going to go back to that. And with the way Carson ran Sunday, um, I don't know why you wouldn't. Jason Myers missed extra point. Should we be concerned? Should Seahawks fans just forget about it? Or should they be concerned about the kicker coming in in a big spot and missing? Yeah, well, that's two in a row, I believe, for, for Jason Myers in, in terms of two weeks in a row with a missed PAT. Um, you know, I, it's hard to say just because it, it's easy to, to, to look at that and look at sort of the rough patch that he went through earlier in the season um, and say, my gosh, you know, what, do you, are you really going to have a ton of confidence, you know, late in the season, maybe in the playoffs, if there's a pressure kick um, that, that, that they need him to make? It's easy to say that. It's also you, you can also look around the NFL and just look at how the kicking numbers have been this season. And um, you know, even Adam Vinatieri, maybe the best kicker of all time, is is uh, really was struggling before he landed on injured reserve. So there's not a whole lot of teams, I don't think, right now that would be, that would have a ton of confidence in their kicker. Maybe Baltimore, uh, maybe a few other teams, but there's probably a lot of positions, a lot of teams that are in similar positions with their kicker uh, that the Seahawks are in with Jason Myers right now. Finish up with me. Brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Our friend Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider. I, for one, think the the best thing to come out of the win against Carolina was the return of Tyler Lockett to a you know a very important role. I think he caught eight balls for 120 yards after three or four weeks of being hurt and being sick. The Seahawks to make a deep run. They need Tyler Lockett to be very very big in the offense, and they saw that again. The return of Lockett on Sunday, right? Yeah, totally. And interestingly, you know, after the game. Uh, you know, he was asked sort of the, the, the questions you would expect about, hey, so are, do you feel totally fine now? Are you back? And, he's, and he said, really, no. You know, he was still, um, you know, he said his shin injury is still lingering. Still lingering was the quote that, that he had there. And he also talked about still really not feeling over whatever sickness he had. He said, you know, whatever flu bug that he caught kind of turned into a cold and he was still congested and uh, talked about how he hasn't really been sleeping a whole lot, said he lost 10 pounds. So, Certainly did not look like a guy who, who was playing at less than 100% Sunday, just because that's the first that that was really um, you know 2018 Tyler Lockett and 2019 Tyler Lockett before those four games mm-hmm. uh, where he was really in in kind of that funk just because of the way that he was feeling. Um, and you mentioned the touchdown. He, he also almost had another touchdown. Would have had a second touchdown uh, had Russell Wilson not overthrown him. So um, definitely a good sign for the Seahawks offense, just because that is a guy that that they need to be at his best. So with the 49ers losing to the Falcons unexpectedly on Sunday, and the Seahawks beating the Panthers, I guess what we know for sure now. I'll put my little most Mr. Postseason hat on. What we know for sure now is that the Seahawks will have an opportunity to win the division on December the 29th, whether they win the game against the Cardinals or lose the game against the Cardinals. You don't expect, I know the Cardinals won and played well on Sunday. This is all shaping up to be exactly what we thought it would be, you know, weeks and weeks ago. December 29th, 125, Niners Seahawks, CenturyLink Field for perhaps the NFC West and just all the marbles as it comes to the, the NFC. Should be very exciting. 
Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll borrow a line from uh, one of my colleagues, Joe Fan, who covers the team for NBC Sports Northwest, you know, saying that the, the Seahawks' final three games before that Week 17 uh, game against the 49ers really kind of have felt like an undercard to the big heavyweight title match that yeah. um, is going to be in Week 17. So, oh, um, you know, I, I suppose the Seahawks did get a little bit of breathing room with what happened Sunday with them winning, uh, with, with the 49ers losing to Atlanta. But in all likelihood, it is going to come down uh, to, to Week 17, and that should be a good one. And I'm telling you right now, I'm making a prediction. Call it a skeptical prediction. Call it a cynical prediction. I think less guys, I think the guys that you just mentioned, I got a funny feeling they're going to sit out against the Cardinals too, whether it be Clowney or Ansa or Griffin or a combination of both or Kendricks. I just have a funny feeling that they're going to play it safe against the Cardinals so that they can come out guns a-blazing with all kinds of energy and rest on December the 29th. Who knows? Maybe I'm maybe I'm all wet. Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Can't wait to discuss Uh, on episode 71, the Cardinals game, and look forward to December the 29th. Thanks, Brady. Uh, You got it. Thanks, Mitch. There he is, our buddy Brady Henderson from Charlotte, North Carolina. The Seahawks now 11-3, one win away against the Arizona Cardinals from hosting the 49ers on December 29th for all the marbles, the NFC West crown and a very big seed in the NFC. Question. Were you one of several thousand people that filled out a bracket in our first ever Mitch Unfiltered March Madness competition? Because Evergreen Golf Call was the presenting sponsor and gave away three all-expense-paid trips as prizes. Another question. Did you pick a golfer in the Mitch Unfiltered Majors Challenge? Evergreen Golf Call again stepping up and presenting the bucket list trip for two to Pebble Beach to play golf with me. When I started this little podcast journey, CEO Tyler Hay contacted a mutual friend of ours, John Benz, and said, tell Mitchie whatever our team at Evergreen Golf Call can do to help him get started on Mitch Unfiltered. We're in. Headquartered in Bellevue with offices along the West Coast, Portland, San Francisco, the Napa Valley. Been growing people's money for decades. Omnipresent in our community with charity involvement like the Boys and Girls Club. And now the developer of a new online program to help those of us with limited savings get that same level of expertise as their high wealth clients have been enjoying for all these years. It's called Evervestment. You should try it out at E-V-E-R-Vestment, V-E-S-T-M-E-N-T.com. You don't have to be an owner of a sports team for Evergreen Golf Call to be able to help you save your money for a rainy day, whether it's for a first vacation home or your first day of retirement. Evervestment can get you there. Evergreen Golf Call a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Breaking news right now at this hour. Steven Strasburg has, according to multiple reports, reached an agreement, a massive agreement with his team, the Nationals. Uh, ESPN is reporting that it would be the largest deal ever. Seven years, $245 million. Garrett Cole and the Yankees have agreed to a nine-year, $324 million contract. It includes an opt-out after five years and a full no-trade clause. Well, every time you turn around in Major League Baseball, at least the free agent period, somebody is signing for $200 million, $300 million. Here's our guy, Steve Phillips, Sirius XM, of course, Stadium Sports, and our guy for so many years on both the radio show and the podcast. Steve, 
Happy holidays. The free agent spending is crazy. I don't know whether to focus in on the players, the teams, the money, or the Scott Boris angle in all of this. Crazy, huh? Uh, I, I, I always follow the money. That's what I do. It's just uh, <laughs> track, follow the money. Uh, it, it works in movies, and I think it works in real life right now because you're right. Uh, you know, I, I left Connecticut went to San Diego, it snowed in, San, in, in Connecticut, and it rained money in San Diego. It was ridiculous, uh, the amount of money they were throwing around there. It was, it was pretty interesting. So let's start with that angle to it. Mike Moustakis, $64 million in Cincinnati. Strasburg gets $245 million to stay with the Nationals. Garrett Cole, $324 million with the Yankees. Anthony Rendon, $245 million with the Angels. They are all Scott Boris agents, so that totals something like $880 million, and that doesn't include what happened last year and what's still yet to come with some of his other free agents. I, I know... I know, Steve, that he's disliked by many. Maybe it's because of his success. I don't know that I've ever asked you this question on either the radio show or the podcast, so let's do it now. Is he just better than all the other agents? Is he a better negotiator than the other agents? Or is this some sort of just kind of broad appeal that somewhere along the lines he got a huge client, a lot of money, and the domino effect happened, and now everybody kind of lines up uh, behind all those players, yeah, I think I, you know, Mitch, I really do think it's some kind of of uh, some amount of all of those things that that you know he he does well because he has really good players and and the teams want him, uh, you know, and and I will say that over the last couple of years, I actually think that Scott did not do a real good job with his clients that <laughs> that uh, it dragged on too long, he overpriced them, he 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 comes in trying to set a market and to get people to sort of chase it. Uh, and the last couple of years, I think he misread the value of his players compared to the way the teams looked at players today. He misread some of the analytics and understanding that. But that being said, he's been perfect this year. He has been perfect. So, you know, he's, he's a good negotiator. Uh, you know, he's different than some in that, uh, you know, he, he will show you the shadow of other teams being involved that you're always left wondering whether or not they're really there. Uh, you know, he'll say he always tells the truth in every negotiation. Uh, where there are shades of gray is that, that he can get a team to chase. Is he'll say, well, you know, he'll say, well, I've got 10 teams in on a player. And what that means is that one team may say, well, listen, we probably can't play at the rate where you're going. But if the market falls back in some way, we certainly would consider the player if, if the market fell back to, you know, a different range. He considers that as a team that's in on his guy. Now, the reality is that the market's probably not going to fall back into the range of that. Uh, and so, you know, he drums up, you know, he creates demand for his part of the supply chain uh, in a way and, and generates some energy around it. He is pretty good, though, at building a market. Like, the, the, you know, this year was different with, so, you know, the quick signings because the players were good enough, and it was really clear what the values were. Uh, whereas Bryce Harper, he was a confusing guy a year ago. You look at Bryce Harper, you think, well, how good is he? He was ranked 78th in war going into last offseason in the 2018 season. Uh, and you think, okay, well, war is important, so we know was he that good. But his on-base percentage is good. His power is pretty good, but he didn't hit for an average. His defensive numbers aren't very good. And so you kind of get caught trying to figure out, well, you know, you, if, if you want to believe, you can hook on to the good things. If you don't want to believe, you can hook on to the bad things. Whereas, you know, Garrett Cole, 
and Moustakis and Rendon are pretty clearly defined, uh, and so and he's taking advantage of it. But what he did better this year than he's ever done uh, is that he put he he lined players up in places that built the next deal. So Steven Strasburg getting him at thirty-five million beyond the Zach Greinke. million highest pitching AAV, set a base upon which it was a springboard for Garrett Cole to have to be beyond that because Cole's better than Strasburg. Seven years for Strasburg at the age of 31 meant that the 29-year-old Cole, two years younger, could justify a nine-year contract. And so by placing Strasburg in D.C., he didn't take away any of the teams that had Cole as a plan A because the, the Nats weren't in on Cole. They were only in on Strasburg. And so all the teams were still there in the supply and demand chain, and he built it up that he knew it was going to get a nine-year deal. He knew it was going to be more than $35 million, and he set it up. Then when he puts Cole uh, with the Yankees, then the Angels were right there, and they were in on Anthony Rendon. So he built that one up. And, and what he and, and here's the thing, he made it sound like, like you know, my wife will go shopping and say, I saved so much money today uh, when I went shopping. All these deals out there, I saved so much money. And and I'll think, all right, well, but what did you spend? <laughs> and and that's what he did with with the, the Angels, is he offered them coal, and they went up to 280 million. They didn't get them. So they he, they settled for Rendon for two forty five, and Scott Boris says, "Look, I saved you forty million dollars uh, in, in this in this equation." So it worked out perfectly. So he really has manipulated this really well, uh, and uh, it, it's been a lot of fun watching it. So Steve, if I'm a, if I'm a, if Mitch Levy is a great baseball player, great young baseball player, and I'm getting to the point where I'm gonna I'm gonna sign a free agent contract, is it as simple as my decision of agents? As simple as does Scott Boris want to represent me? Because if he does, I'm in. Or is there some decision? What what would lead me as a young ball player not to want to be represented yeah. by Scott Boris? Yeah, it's a good question, right? So, so uh, I had players that were represented by many different guys, not many of them by Scott Boris. Uh, and what I always t- and, and when I had some combative sort of discussions with agents, what I would remind players is to say to them. Look, you can choose whatever agent you want, but you have to make sure that he, he is the guy that fits you because every word that comes out of your agent's mouth, I don't attach to him, I attach to you. He's representing you, so he's speaking for you. And so his style, his approach, his language, uh, you know, his honesty, his integrity, all of that uh, is, is connected to you as a player mm-hmm. because he's representing you. And so if he says something, I'm assuming it's coming from you. And, and so, you know, the, and, and not every agent is for every player. You know, you don't hire Scott Boris to take you to your hometown team. You don't hire Scott Boris to take you to, well, it might be a gentler market, so let me go there. You hire Scott Boris to squeeze the, the blood out of the rock and to get every last little bit out of a deal. You get him to get you the best deal, not necessarily to put you in the best place for you to play. Uh, and so, and and so, and then look, there are other agents, many other agents, who could take this off season with Scott Boris's clients and do the job that he did. I do believe that. I think there's a lot of them out there that could maximize it. Dan Lozano last year, the deal for Machado, I thought he did a tremendous job. You know, he, he's represented Pujols in Vado. He represented Piazza back when I had him, Dan Lozano. And so he's had a lot of high-end guys. So, uh, but Boris is, does a really good job. He's built a, a reputation 
that precedes him. Uh, and word of mouth certainly works. And, and so, you know, when guys want to maximize it, they think, why not Scott Boris? Even though Dallas Keuchel sat out till June last year, uh, and, you know, there's not everything always works out uh, hunky-dory for all of Scott's clients. The voice of Steve Phillips, our friend and former Mets general manager. So take on the big three, Steve, uh, Strasburg, Cole, and Rendon, and tell me, uh, rank them in order one through three, the biggest positive impact you think that that signing will have on, on the team. Yeah, perfect. So Garrett Cole, absolutely number one with the Yankees. Uh, they needed an ace. Uh, they they needed the sort of tenacious competitor. Uh, the key for them is that they have James Paxton and, and Masahiro Tanaka who are both free agents next year. And beyond those two, the free agent class next year is not that strong. The year after that, it's not that strong. So if they had not gotten Cole, uh, and then next year they lose out on Paxton, they would have really been in a position without having an ace in their rotation. Uh, so I thought it was a critical move for the Yankees and a big-time win for Cole and Scott Boris. Now, the Angels were in on Garrett Cole. I thought it was a win for the Angels to not get Garrett Cole. Really? Because Yeah, here's why. Because I look at them and say, all right, you want to win with Mike Trout, uh, and you want to have as many opportunities to win as possible. Uh, I thought and believe that their best way to win was instead of giving Garrett Cole $36 million, it would have been to give Madison Baumgartner 18 and either Hinjin Ryu or Dallas Keuchel 18, get two starting pitchers to go with Shohei Otani at the front of the rotation, then have Andrew Heaney as your four, Dylan Bundy as your five. They need more than one starter. They, I mean, Cole would have been great, but if he's going to take $36 million a year, uh, I would ra- and, and, and it limits anything else I can do, I would rather split it in two and get two next-tier guys because I think that's their best chance to win over 162 games to get to the playoffs. Uh, and so that's the way I would have gone. Now, instead, where they pivoted is they went Anthony Rendon. So it is making me wonder, maybe there's more money in the pot than what we think, but they absolutely need to add pitching. I think two starters. I don't look at them getting Dylan Bundy, uh, from, who gave up 41 home runs, I think, two years ago, <coughs> excuse me, in Baltimore. I don't think he's a four-starter or a three-starter. I think he's a five-starter at best. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they, it's great they got Rendon. Uh, I think he's going to help. But he can't pitch, and so that's an issue. Now, when it comes to Steven Strasburg, I would not have touched him with a 10-foot pole. Really? Uh, for, for the deal that he got. Okay. I love him as a guy. He's a good teammate. He's a good citizen. He's a great representative of the organization, and he's a really good pitcher. But he has made 30 starts in a season once in the last five years, and it was this past year. But, but he's had Tommy John surgery. He's had shoulder problems. He has hor- horrific mechanical issues in his delivery. He has that inverted W when you know, his yep, leg yep. comes up over yep. the rubber and he yep. strides toward home plate. The ball's facing the ground instead of facing the sky. Right. The ball should be up facing the sky where he just has to rotate and throw it when that front foot hits the ground. He still has to take the ball up and then forward, and it puts so much more pressure on his shoulder and elbow. And so 31 years old, a seven-year contract at $35 million a year, I wouldn't have gone there. I would not have gone there. Uh, and so I think of the three, that's the third. It's not that I don't like the guy, and I don't like the pitcher. I do. I like him. 
Uh, and I, I like him for four years. I am scared to death on a seven-year deal with him. After listening to all of what you had to say, especially about the Angel situation and the Yankee situation, it, it seems to me that James Paxton, our guy, the Big Maple, is one year, one good year, one good healthy year away from backing up the Brinks trucks, that he's going to get a lot of money next year, and maybe it'll be the Angels that does it to try to bring him back to the American League West because they'll still need pitching to go along with those two great offensive superstars. Yeah, that's a good call, and, and here's the thing. I think you're 100% right. He goes out there this year and has a monster year. He's got a chance to cash in in a big, big way. Uh, now, he's 31, pitching at 31 this year. He'll pitch at 32, which is a little bit older, you know, for a guy going to free agency. I think the other team that will be all over him will be the Toronto Blue Jays. Wow. You know, the Blue Jays, sure. they, you know, they've got the young core position players. They're looking at pitching. They're not really going to compete this year. They're looking at 2021, more likely 2022. I, you know, you're throwing a no-hitter against them before – I think that the Blue Jays have to have him as a target, a primary target next year. The question is, will the Yankees sort of supersede that with making a deal? Will they sign him to an extension? One of those ones that you do it in April, and this year's salary is what counts against the AAV and the, and the luxury tax, and, and the, <laughs> excuse me, the, the, uh, the new deal doesn't count necessarily until the next year. Uh, so we'll see. But you're right. Paxton may be a big-time free agent next season. By the way, I love what you tweet. I want to ask you about the new drug policy in Major League Baseball because I think it's important to discuss before we finish up, Steve. But I got to say that I love what you tweeted about the Yankees. Most teams don't want player opt-out clauses in their contracts, their, their big uh, free agent contracts. The Yankees are the opposite. They want Cole to opt out, right? They want Absolutely. him to opt out, go somewhere else, and then they can focus on the next big thing, whatever that is, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because Rob Manfred came out and says, oh, I don't like these opt-out clauses. And general managers were like, we love them. Because, so Garrett calls an opt-out after five years. He's 28. So if he opts out after his age 32 season, going into age 33, Perfect. We just got the best five years of the nine that we had signed you to. Right. You go ahead and let somebody else take you when you're getting older and stuff's not quite there. We'll go sign the next 28-year-old starter, lock him up, give him an opt-out, and keep playing the opt-out game. Now, they've done that with A-Rod, and they signed him to an extension. They've done it with CC Sabathia. They signed him to an extension when they opted out. So, but it gives you the choice, and if you, if you to get to the point you think, you know what? He gave us a good run. There's another 28-year-old. We're going to go in that direction. Good luck getting a contract. <laughs> but I think it's a game that I would love to keep playing. Mm. Steve, uh, before I wish you happy holidays and let you go, Major League Baseball and the Players Association made a big decision over the last week or so to take marijuana off the abuse list and test for opioids in the wake of the international epidemic that we have on our hands and the death, by the way, of Tyler Skaggs of the Angels. A thought or two on that as you leave us. So I think that, it, you know, particularly with the Tyler Skagg situation and opioids, obviously this is a major issue uh, in the world today is the use of opioids and the addictions uh, to it. Uh, and, you know, in professional sports where athletes have had surgeries, they've come back, you know, they, they do get prescribed. My son's having shoulder surgery next week. And, and I've already picked up his meds, and they've given him some opioids. Uh, to try to get them through the pain after the surgery, that they said, listen, you know, let your dad sort, sort of dole it out, make, let him control it, because we understand the addictive nature of it all. But when you think about athletes and professional athletes, 
you know, they it, they may take it after a surgery or a problem. And, and so uh, I love that they've made it that they will not suspend players, but they will get them help. Uh, I think that is by far the better way to go with this issue. Uh, the idea is let somebody speak up if they have a problem. Let somebody say, you know, not out of fear that they might get suspended, but that they can get help and that there's a way to sort of manage this. So I, I think it's the empathetic way to go about it. I think it's exactly the right thing and, and a real good feel from both the Players Association and the commissioner's office as to how to deal with this. We don't want another Tyler Skaggs situation. Mm-hmm. And so let's make it an open book that people can speak up about it instead of fearing punishment they're going to get some help. There is literally no voice better in baseball than Steve Phillips, the former GM of the Mets. Sirius XM, hear him all the time there. You can see him online and watch him and hear him on Stadium Sports. Steve, thank you for all that you've done for me over the years. Happy holidays to you and your family, and we'll speak soon. Thanks so you much. You bet, Mitch. Same to you, buddy. My pleasure. Man, it's great to hear the voice of Steve Phillips, the former general manager of the New York Mets. He's always been great to us, both on on the radio show and on the podcast. And can you believe Scott Boris's clients over $850 million worth of contracts? And that's like four or five guys. Unbelievable. I say this all the time because I believe it. Daniel's Broiler is a special restaurant for the holidays. One of the things that I think makes Daniel's special is that world-class hospitality. Of course, you want the excellent steaks and seafood at Daniel's. You'll get them. Of course, you expect world-class views. You'll get them. And the greatest wine list available in the Northwest. You'll get it. But if Daniel's doesn't make you feel special, what's the point? Because we live in a time when hospitality is becoming a lost art in restaurants and that's a shame when you go to daniel's broiler your needs come first and that starts with world-class hospitality daniel's goal is simple to make every guest feel like they're part of the daniel's family and i'm not just talking about being polite world-class hospitality warm welcome and important daniel's broiler with great locations for the holidays south lake union leshy marina bellevue place and the new downtown hyatt regency location which is serving breakfast lunch and dinner seven days a week daniel's broiler this holiday season world-class steakhouses unfiltered As episode 70 continues, you know, controversy has been suffocating one of the Christmas movies that I'm most excited to see, Richard Jewell, a Clint Eastwood film about the Atlanta bombing investigation. The movie studio is at odds with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for the way it portrays the lead female reporter who broke the story about Jewel being the prime suspect initially by the federal authorities. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline on Mitch Unfiltered is Paul Fari, Washington Post writer. Paul, thanks for being with us. You've seen the movie. We haven't, so kind of pick up the story from here if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, thanks, Mitch. Uh, Yes, uh, you've got it pretty much right. Uh, It's a a movie about Richard Jewell, obviously, by the title. You can tell that. And uh, the 1996 bombing, um, uh, people old enough to remember that know the story. Basically, uh, that Jewell was a security guard who discovered the uh, pipe bombs in uh, Centennial Olympic Park during a concert. He alerted everybody, got people out of the way. The bomb exploded, uh, killed one person, uh, injured a whole bunch 
bunch of other people. Um, and, and so at first he was considered a hero for having done what he did. But then uh, three days later, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution broke the story that the FBI was looking into Jewel as the suspect uh, in the bombing, uh, the hero bomber, so to speak. And uh, then a media frenzy resulted, and uh, his life sort of became turned upside down. Him and his mother uh, both were you know, in the spotlight for about three months until the FBI admitted, we don't have the goods, and they cleared him. And um, that's what the movie uh, pretty much covers. So what's the controversy? The way the, way the lead reporter is uh, portrayed in the movie in a, in a very important scene in the movie. Take, yeah. it from, yeah, take it from there. Yes. Well, uh, the reporter, whose name is Kathy Scrugg, she's uh, no longer alive. Uh, she is portrayed by that name in the movie by Olivia Wilde. So uh, they're basing this character on a real person, and obviously the movie is based on real events. Uh, the one key scene early on in the movie is how Kathy Scruggs, the reporter, gets the tip that Jewel is a suspect of the FBI. And uh, the way she gets the information out of the FBI from the lead FBI agent played by John Hamm is to sleep with him. And uh, this has caused all kinds of controversy because um, that never happened. And there's no evidence that she did. Kathy Scruggs was a very good police reporter, crime reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, broke the story legitimately from all accounts. And uh, now she's being um, held up as, uh, you know, uh, having slept with her her source. Um, You know, this is a portrayal that you see in a number of movies and TV shows about uh, female reporters, uh, that they sleep with their sources to get information. And, um, you know, predictably, this has uh, upset quite a lot of people, particularly the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which is really does has spoken up to uh, to defend Kathy Scruggs' reputation. Yeah. And I find interesting, which we'll talk about the movie makers reaction and the actress's reaction to these accusations by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. But before I get there, Paul, if untrue, you've seen the movie, I'm going to see the movie. Did the movie really need this scene, or should I ask, did the movie really need that contrived layer to this relationship, do you think? That is a great question and a great point, and I would say the answer is no. The movie is quite good, as a matter of fact, and it's quite faithful to actual events. Uh, This scene, um, which didn't happen in real life, seems to me unnecessary. You could have shown a dogged reporter who worked her contacts to get uh, the information uh, to get the story. But, you know, this is a movie, so they want to make it dramatic and they want to create uh, some kind of greater tension or element or drama around this. Um, Olivia Wilde uh, plays uh, the reporter as kind of a, you know, a, a brash um, a reporter who walks into the newsroom and says for some reason to her colleagues, um, I'm sorry, uh, my great stories are bumping your lousy stories off the front page. Right. So it's trying to create uh, an element around this character as, you know, being a kind of a rogue figure. Um, again, it, it, Kathy, the real Kathy Scruggs was a kind of brash reporter, but she didn't do that thing. And it really was unnecessary to, uh, you know, advance the plot here because uh, the plot isn't really about that. It's about what happens to Jewel after he is named as a suspect. You know, the studio's Paul contention is that the newspaper, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, with all of this demands for a disclaimer about both the newspaper and Kathy Scruggs, 
that they're deflecting the real story, which is their role in ruining this guy's life. And when you go back to the way they handled it and the way she handled the reporting of this, I guess the central story and question and debate journalistically is, should they have should they have named him in the story? What's your yeah, what's your take I, on all of that? Yeah, I think that's a legit debate. And I think journalists have been debating that for a very long time is should we name a person who is not charged, not arrested, certainly not convicted uh, of a really high profile, heinous crime uh, when um, he's just being looked into. Uh, in the Atlanta bombing, there were two other suspects, and I defy anybody to name them because their names never really leaked during the investigation. Everybody knows about Richard Jewell because uh, the media uh, went crazy with his name. Uh, you know, the story was accurate as far as it goes. It, it, there is no misreporting. There is no mistake. He was a suspect. The FBI was looking into him, and they had compiled quite a lot of evidence, circumstantial, uh, not really, um, you know, uh, going to make the case, but circumstantial about him. So that part of her, her reporting, the, the Atlanta Journal uh, Constitution's reporting, was accurate. Um, but again, we get into the, the nuance of this. Should it have been reported? A lot of people would say no, and a lot of journalists would say no. Um, you know, it, it, uh, th there are other precedents and there are other uh, examples of this over time. Uh, but um, that's a separate debate. Yeah. What uh, Warner Brothers is saying is utterly misleading, however. What they are saying is because the Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, was in, in many ways responsible for outing Jewel as a suspect, that they somehow, uh, that somehow this movie can take any license it wants. That's, that's a completely different statement uh, altogether. Um, you can have one debate uh, about journalistic ethics on one hand without making up a whole, right. you know, a whole scenario that didn't happen. Paul, I want to read Olivia Wilde, the actress's reaction to this, because I find this very interesting and get your, your perspective. She says that the perspective of the fictional uh, drama, dramatization of the story, as I understood it, was that Kathy and the FBI agent who leaked false information to her were in a pre-existing romantic relationship, not a transactional exchange for sex for information. I cannot speak for the creative decisions made by the filmmakers as I did not have a say in how the film was ultimately crafted, but it's important to me that I share my personal take on the matter. That, that implies, Paul, that she is at odds with Eastwood and the movie's leadership, correct? Well, not exactly. Um, there is no, she's wrong. She's simply wrong. There was no pre-existing relationship, and by that phrase, I think she is implying a romantic relationship. Right. There is zero evidence for any pre-existing relationship. So don't try to voice that one on us. That's absolutely incorrect. What she should be saying, I think, is they did. They took dramatic license. They wanted to sex up the story, literally and figuratively. And I am the vehicle for them doing that. Um, but don't injure the historical record here um she's she's kind of blurring uh the 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 actual facts in this case there was no pre-existing relationship that was invented for the purposes of 
creating a story and, and um, you know, making a movie. Yeah, and the worst part about it is the three central figures or in the two central figures in this particular controversy are not around to defend themselves. She's, yeah, that, she's, that, she's not here. I, as I understand it, John Hamm's character, the FBI investigator, he's not uh, he's not around. Uh, he's he's dead, too. Right. Is that correct? That's correct. His name is Don Johnson, uh, not the actor, but Don Johnson, the FBI agent. He was the lead agent in this case. And, um, you know, he, he, he there's a very good book on this, which uh, the movie relies on. It's called The Suspect. And um, it's a very good, meticulously reported account of this. Don Johnson had some issues during his career in the FBI. He sort of re- retired under a cloud uh, in part because of his handling of the jewel case, but for other uh, uh, other cases that he was involved in. Um, nevertheless, he's not around to defend himself, and uh, neither is Kathy Scruggs. She died in 2001. So, um, you know, they're, they're trying to get away with this, and they're trying to have it both ways. We're telling a story based on real events, except we made up a few events ourselves. The, the, the larger injury here is the notion that, um, you know, this is the theme of this movie is that the media um, railroaded a guy unfairly and created hysteria by its reporting. Well, aren't they doing the same thing, in a sense, with Kathy Scruggs? Mm-hmm. It seems to be that that's exactly what they're doing. Should we all go see the movie, Paul? Well, I mean, I'm not into uh, you know film criticism. I actually <laughs> like this. I actually like this movie that scene accepted um, because I do think it raises some interesting questions, which were raised at the time of the actual case in 1996 about the media's behavior, about the FBI's behavior, and you know I don't think it's it's uh, it, it's it's too subtle. I think that what Eastwood is doing is he's indicting the FBI, the quote the so-called deep state, and he's indicting the news media. And, you know, Clint Eastwood is a conservative, um, uh, and that kind of advances two narratives for him, uh, the deep state and the news media. And who else do we know who's been raising those questions uh, in the last few years? So anyway, it's timely in its own way, and um, it's very well acted. Uh, The guy who plays Jewel, uh, Paul Walter Hauser, is excellent. Kathy Bates, who plays his mother, is great as usual. Um, John Hamm is fine. Olivia Wilde. Eh. Um, but uh, um, for the for the most part, for the most part, uh, um, it's a very good movie. Oh, by the way, Sam Rockwell, who plays Jules Attorney, um, a guy named Watson Bryant, uh, also very very good in this movie. I caught the huh. I caught yeah. that. Yeah. No, it's it, it's a, it, the whole part is sort of over overdrawn, I guess, and uh, not just the you know the sex for uh, scoop scene, but her whole character is kind of overdrawn, so uh, I, I, I can't really, uh, I'm, I'm not really a big fan of that, uh, of her part. And, the, and of course, the film studio is laughing all the way to the bank on all of this. Yeah, the, mean, fact that you mean, and this I, is, the fact that you and I are talking about sure. this, and this is everywhere you turn, this is nothing but terrific, terrific news for the movie studio, right? Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's gotten a lot of attention about this element of the, the movie. I don't know if the movie would have gotten quite so much attention without this well it's sad it's a tragic story in so many different ways not the least of which is that the most 
of central figures. Most of the central figures are gone. Jewel's mother, I saw in an interview on TV the other night, says she thinks that this fact, false accusation killed her son. And Scruggs was troubled, died of a drug overdose. I guess we'll never know the toll that this story took on her. It's just, it's a really sad and tragic story. It could have been a lot worse if that, if that bomb wasn't found in Atlanta in 1996. But still, a really well, sad story, Paul. Uh-oh. Well, I, I, I will defer to Jules' mother. She knows her son better, way hundreds of times better than I'll ever know him. But, you know, the movie depicts him as being not in all that great a shape uh, uh, f- during this time. And he eventually died of complications from diabetes. So undoubtedly he was stressed out by all of this. Uh, but whether it killed him, I don't know. He died in 2007. That was 11 years afterwards. Um, so uh, that that's a little might be something of a dramatic overstatement, but again, I defer to her and her knowledge of what happened. Paul, terrific stuff in the Washington Post. I, I urge all of our listeners, if you get a chance, follow him on Twitter. You can read him on the Washington Post. Twitter, it's uh, F-A-R-H-I-P. Paul Fari joining us on uh, on Mitch Unfiltered. Paul, thanks for the visit. Thanks so very much. Happy holidays. Thank you, Thank you Mitch. Same to you. Paul Fari of the Washington Post, a columnist on the controversial new movie Richard Jewell about the 1996 Olympic bombing. And by the way, since I recorded that interview, I went to see the film. Very, very, very well acted. Worth the price of admission this holiday season. I got to tell you, I'm craving a chopped salad and two or three slices of a chicken club pizza at Zeke's Pizza. Chicken, bacon, spinach, tomato, red onion, Delicious, And as the Seahawks continue to win more and more games, 11-3 and three now, I still feel the need to remind you that you could sit at home and watch the Hawks stride towards the NFC West title and enjoy delicious Zeke's Pizza and craft beer all at the very same time in your family room on Sundays, Mondays, Thursdays. Download and use their mobile app or order online, Zeke'sPizza.com, or just call 206-285-8646. Any combination of food and beer just as long as it's a minimum of 15 bucks you can mix and match order six different beers whatever you want all the drivers have shoulder coolers so the beers will show up nice and cold again 206-285-8646 or zekespizza.com plus you can download and use their mobile app zeke's pizza homegrown in the northwest unfiltered So let me take that cap off and let me put the captain's cap on. What a performance from Tiger out in the first match. Well, for those of you that might recall episode number 52, way back when, we had our next guest on for the first time. He's the author of a book called Hunter of Hope. He's had an amazing life story, both good and bad. Joining us again on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is our friend Ken Green, 11 worldwide wins, a member of the 89 Ryder Cup team, and uh, a terrific American player for many, many years. Kenny, before we start on the President's Cup and Patrick Reed and Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus, let me get a checkup on you. How, I know our listeners would want me to do that. How you, how you been lately? Uh, things have been going well, thank you. I appreciate you asking. And, uh, you know, we just keep plugging the plug. And, you know, my leg issues are my leg issues, and I just keep fighting for it. Have you been able to play some golf and play well? I, I, I won't call it golf, big boy. I mean, it's... It's downright nasty right now. <laughs> really? Yeah. You know, <clears throat> golf's a hard game, and, and uh, 
you know, I don't know whether, you know, some of it can be age, some of it's trying to play with one leg, and it's uh, going through a rough cycle. But, you know, that's that's part of the challenge. If golf's, golf's never going to be uh, fair to you. It, it's going to take advantage of you when you're weak, and you have to, you have to regroup. Ken Green is our guest. Ken, um, the, the golfing world continues, and, and you are such a, a breath of fresh air listening to you, hearing you, talk to you. Tell us what you thought about the President's Cup with the Americans falling behind and trailing the entire time until the singles play. What were your what were your thoughts as you watched America finally come back and beat the international team? You know, obviously everyone's surprised. It's it's you know, clear that the Americans are better and it didn't shock me when when the, they pulled the within two going into singles. I, I thought it was really kind of a no brainer that, you know, these these kids are are finding out what it's like, and you know, quote, they don't have a country, but it's their team, and they're and they're they're trying their hardest, and all of a sudden they don't understand that extra adrenaline, and you know, and then a little bit of the nerves with adrenaline, what it does to the golf swing, and you just you don't quite execute as well as you do when you're playing normal, you know, quote professional golf, and and you know that's basically what cost them the singles. What's the difference between the adrenaline of, say, team competition? You played in the 89 Ryder Cup. You've played in team competitions before. What's the difference between that adrenaline and, say, the adrenaline when you're not representing your country and other guys and you're just playing in a major championship, a U.S. Open, a Masters, Ken? What I try to explain to people is when you're playing the team events, a.k.a. the President's Cup or the Ryder Cup, every match is like the last nine holes of trying to win a tournament. So it's it, you, you, everything's amped up on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, or in the president's case, you know, a Thursday. And, you know, that's basically what we live for, though. But, you know, we, it, it, you love it. And, and the only way you'll figure out how to learn from the errors is understanding what's going on inside your head. You know, did you do stupid things? Did, you know, were you moving too fast? You know, did your adrenaline go? You know, w- one of the best things that Jack and, and, and Tiger have done is for whatever reason, they always were able to control themselves and hit nothing but clutch shots. Whereas others, sometimes they can hit the clutch shots. Sometimes they hit that little, you know, little adrenaline demon, so to speak. And, you know, you learn from it. You know, Tom Watson was not so good in the beginning, but he figured it out. And then he became a closer. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Anybody, whether it's the American rookies or the, the international, can learn from it if they sit down and, and think honestly with themselves. And only they can do that because they're not going to tell you, me, or anybody else the truth. If, if something was going on in their head, they will never admit it. Right. And if they don't admit it to themselves quietly trying to figure out their golf game, right. they'll never make it. It's funny that you say it's about really slowing the game down, slowing your emotions down, these team events. And when you watch Tiger, who was probably the best player that the American team had, he won all of his matches, he took a day off, then he came back in singles and, and took care of business. You watch him, he sleep at least on the outside. I guess a lot of these guys are on the outside. You don't know what's going on inside, Ken. But from the from the you know, from the outside, it just looks like he has an, an unbelievable ability. He's almost sleepy when you watch him play. In those in those team events, at least over the he week, he just he just marvels at you know the the ultimate pressure. He, he just he lives for it. That's his his rush. But 
if he does, when he has that rush, he controls himself. So he doesn't get that little, you know, everyone's a little different. And, and when they're in that zone of adrenaline demons, mm-hmm. you know, some get a little quicker, some have a hard time breathing, you know, everyone's different in that respect. But uh, Tiger has, has been, you know, phenomenal at, at, at doing that his whole career. You know, like I said, both he and Jack were, you know, money, you know, they, they, they were money when, when, when they were needed, they usually came through. How do you compare them? You played with Jack, I'm sure, many times at the beginning of your career. I, you know, my personal opinion is that Jack would be a, a little better than, than Tiger, but it's not fair to either one of them. If you're a Tiger lover or a Jack lover, it, you, you really have no right saying one's better than the other because there's so many variables. You know, people that love Tiger have no idea all the, the negatives that Jack had to play with that are like, you know, nothing that little things, you know, it could be spike marks, you know, it could be balls that aren't so round back in the sixties, mm-hmm. you know, it could be leather grips that, you know, one little slip of, of a leather grip and, you know, Jack finished second 19 times, you know, you put all those variables together with, with, with just a few things I just mentioned. There's not a doubt in my mind. Jack, Jack has 23 majors. So it, it, it's just not fair to either one of them. They're, they're both heads and heels better than anybody else who played. It's an injustice. But if there is some guy who's a Tiger lover, I, I will explain to him one step at a time why I would I would call I would take Jack over Tiger. The voice of Ken Green, 11 times a winner, a great American player in his own right, a member of a Ryder Cup team. I'm going to ask you about that in a in a minute. What you remember about the Belfry in '89? But before we get there. You were not immune, as you and I have talked about on, on the previous episode, episode 52 to be exact. You and you were not immune to being in trouble in your PGA Tour playing days, but it wasn't the type of trouble that Patrick Reed seems to have found. You've got, you've got the college allegations from years ago, Ken. You've got not letting his parents come to the Masters to see him win. You've got the waste bunker rules infraction last week. You've got the shovel gesture at the President's Cup, and now you've got the caddy getting into it with a fan. He, he made it very difficult for all, a lot of us Americans to root for him, even though he was representing our country in the President's Cup. When Ken Green sits back and looks at the, the, the issues that have faced Patrick Reed, what comes to mind? In a way, it's similar to what I was talking about. If the person isn't going to be honest with himself, I mean, he's, he's defensive immediately on on pretty much all those topics you're talking about. So how is he ever going to become a better human being if he doesn't admit what's going wrong inside his head? You know, what happened with the, the player's caddy, I don't know the guy's name besides dope, yeah. uh, is, is unacceptable. And I believe the tour and Tiger missed a huge opportunity to show the United States and the world and I'm talking about non, the non-sporting world, how much better golfers are in terms of the little things of life, the respect, you know, stepping up and owning your, your errors and you take the consequences and explain that, you know, to, to young parents out there who don't understand anything about golf and why, why the hell will I get my kids into golf, this would have been a huge opportunity to – to convince everybody that your kids grow up as golfers, they're going to be better people in, in, this, in the sense that they don't get in as much trouble as, quote, 
the other arenas of life, whether it's football players or basketball or baseball. What should they and have done? Ken, what didn't they do? What should they have done? If I'm captain, before, before we even get on the plane, I'm telling everybody, anybody reacts to any, anything that anybody does, you're, you're gone. You're not going to play another match. We, we, you have to expect it, accept it, and just keep playing. It's not hard to do. You know that most of the people that react are drunk. And most of you, as in the players, have all been drunk and done stupid things. So you have to go and be bigger than them. And then I tell those players that if anyone in your circle, whether it's your wife, your caddy, or whoever you're with, does something, that's on you and you're sitting. Should they have forfeited? Should Tiger have forfeited the singles match, the Patrick Reed singles yes. match? Really? If I'm captain, I say yes. Really? Again, that, that, that shows the world and everybody how much better golfers are. I know it doesn't seem right, and I'm sure there's going to be tons of people that disagree with me, but what a, what a huge opportunity was missed there. You know, what that caddy did was inexcusable, and, and Patrick Reed is Patrick Reed. We all can violate a rule without realizing we're doing it. I'm sure we've all done it at one time without even knowing we've done it. But when it happens again, things become a pattern. You know, was it just a dumb mistake that Patrick made? And, and how else can you describe it besides being pure stupid? Because anybody knows you can't move the sand. I mean, I mean, you just can't do it. Does Ken so, Green, does Ken Green you, think that there was intent? Do you think that Patrick Green knew exactly what he was doing? He was trying to get an advantage and he got caught. I refuse to believe the guy could be that dumb because he knows in today's day and age there's cameras everywhere. You know, and here he is, uh, you know, leading, and he doesn't think they're going to be eyeing on him. So I, I, I think it was – I honestly think it was just a dumb, dumb move. But it's still – it just – the way he responded to it is what I'm talking about not accepting. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have to show the world that golfers accept our errors of stupidity. And every golfer out there knows we've done stupid things when you get – when this game pisses you off and you're playing like a pig – Phil Mickelson's an example at the Open at Shinnecock last year. Right. <clears throat> you know, right. instead of just saying to the world, you know, <laughs> what an idiot, I screwed up. You know, he comes up with this, well, I put it through my head that I calculated I would, I would be better off taking a two-shot penalty than going all the way down there and hitting again. Right. And there's not a person on the planet that can put all the, those scenarios in his head in, in a second that it took – all that to happen. And Phil comes out, instead of saying, boom, I screwed up, he comes out with defensive and then eventually, you know, backtracks it. But, you know, this, this is what, this is what we, you know, we need to do better. You know, I just think that the tour and the, and Tiger just blew a huge opportunity. It's, it's, it's insane that they didn't, they didn't sit him. He should have forfeited the point. The voice, doubt in my mind. The voice is Ken Green. Uh, before we finish up with Ken, and the name of his book is Hunter of Hope. If you haven't heard the Ken Green story, I urge you to go back to our episode 52. It's available everywhere. He tells uh, an abridged story of what's gone on in Ken Green's life. It is fascinating. He's a fascinating personality. Uh, before you go, team sports. We talk about them and we live them all the time, but then you guys play for 51 weeks. 51 weeks out of every year, you guys play for yourself and only yourself. You don't care about anybody else. And then all of a sudden, you're thrust onto the stage. You were talking about it before. 
you played in a in a in an infamous Ryder Cup, the '89 Ryder Cup at the Belfry. What do you remember about that tie, 14-14 between the Europeans and your United States team, Kenny? Well, what I remember the most is, is the intensity, because see, the, the major difference between that era, you know, say '95, '97, and back, and now. Now they're all friends with each other. You know, they're all, you know, multi, multi-millionaires. And in our era, half the guys on our team had total dislike for half of them and vice versa. I mean, it was, it was, the, the animosity was high. I mean, it was, it was bitter. It was cold. And so you were in that raw, wow. You know, here is my, you know, my, my first Ryder Cup. And it's like, holy remedies. These guys hate each other. That's like, you know, it's like, wow, that was a wake up call for me. But it, it, um, it, it just goes to show you that, that it's, it, it, emotions run high and, and, but golf can be cruel. I mean, I, I ended up, uh, losing on the very last hole to Jose Maria Canizares and I played just aw- awesome all day long. And when I tell you he got two of the luckiest breaks on the planet Earth, which <laughs> should never even come close. <clears throat> and and yet we walk away with a 14-14 tie, which for some reason is called a loss, which is another of the most idiotic rules on Earth when it comes to whoever holds the previous cup yeah. gets to retain it. Right. That makes no sense. But right, right. It, uh, you know, it's something I'll never forget, that, that bounce he got. <laughs> it, it should have gone in the water and how it did what it did oh. uh, just blows my mind now you and Cal I, mean, I can literally this is 30 some years I later know, I know. and I can I still know. see that shot in my head <laughs> you and Calc by the way were great <clears throat> friends and great teammates you won a couple of matches in, in the doubles section but then you ran into and I just want to ask you ran into Ballesteros and Olathobel do you remember that match the famous yep, or the infamous Spaniard team of Olathobel and ba- Ballesteros what was uh, that like yeah Ballesteros will jingle his change, won't he? A little bit. Yo, Seve. There's only t- <laughs> when you talk about Seve, you gotta you gotta put him in three parts. Seve as a golfer, you know, Seve as an individual, and then Seve uh, as a golfer who plays tricks. I mean, Seve was a complete dick on the golf course. He did everything you could think of to get in your way, annoy you, and it was like he couldn't help himself. It was just the way, you know, he's raised and, you know, he's a, he's trying to make it from the, you know, the poorest of the poor, caddying and this and that. I mean, he's coughing, he's moving, he's shifting his coins. And, you know, here he is. This guy was, his talent was, was clearly was unbelievable. And, but he believed in that intimidation. And that, that again, the, some of the, I can remember these four putts I'm about to tell you. In the first five holes, Jose made four putts from 40 feet. No. Oh, my God. Yeah. And Calc and I only birdied two of the four holes, and we were two down, and we just we just spun our wheels from there. We just didn't play well enough. But I'll, I'll never forget that first hole, second hole, fourth hole. It's like, really? What the, you know. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> but, you know, that's, oh. that's golf, and sometimes you take it where you don't like it. <laughs> 
Oh, God, it's great to hear your voice. I really hope that you're well. I wish you and your family a happy holiday season. The name of the book is Hunter of Hope. I urge everybody to go back and listen to episode 52, our, our first time visiting with Ken. And I, I, I tell you what, next year, if you'll, if you'll have us, I hope that you'll come back on before the Masters, before some of the, the big events or after the big events and just share your your unfiltered opinion, because that's what this show is called, Unfiltered. So I, I hope that you'll uh, be with us again next year, Ken. Uh, I'd love to. Just let me know, and I'll, I will uh, spit out the real wisdom. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. All right, buddy. Be good. Unfiltered. Well, I'm proud of those four interviews, Hotshot Scott. You did a fine job, I must say. I'm um, a lot, uh, you know, yeah, I'm proud of Mr. Postseason, but I, I'm i really proud of this episode 70, and I hope that people didn't just use us for Mr. Postseason. <laughs> but if you did, I can't I can't force you to listen to some good stuff, good banter between you and me, to good interviews. I can't force people to listen. But to be it's fair to, to you. them, you've said before, just click play. Just click play. That's all we need. You've that's said right, that. That's true. So it's going to be you hard for you. don't want to hear somebody call another person a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. That's right. I mean, it's worth you it. You miss it. If you want to miss it, you miss it. Whatever. That's on you. Yep. That's, that's on you. Uh, what about other stuff? Do we have other stuff before we get oh, out of here? Do we have other stuff. It was a weekend. Yeah. I mean, the sports weekend. Tons of stuff happened. You want to go back and forth? I'll go. Major League Baseball is going to remove marijuana from the list of drug abuse. I don't know if you saw that. I, it was talked about with Steve Phillips in today's show. I hope that you uh, listen to Steve Phillips. I, I loved it, what he said about it. I thought it was very <laughs> insightful and intuitive. Despite the fact that you haven't heard it yet. Yeah. Okay. I think it's a big step. I mean, you know, it's legal in the state we live in. What Steve said and what I agree with is the key was they're going to test for opioids, but if they find you positive... They're not going to just jump to suspend you. They're going to work with you. They're going to put you in a program and try to help you out. It's not for disciplinary reasons, but as much as to help what is a, an international epidemic right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know about you. You got a, a young, she's only 10, right? I mean, I, I just hear these horror stories as the as the parent now of a high school senior and one going to high school. I, I It's touched, the opioid problem has touched people that I know that I love dear, dear friends of mine and their kids, and I've seen it. I've seen it right up close, and it's horrific, and it's it's a nightmare. I, I literally have nightmares about opioids in my kids this this age. So anything that any of these – any of these leagues, you know, bravo to the Major League Baseball for, for incorporating. For looking yeah. at addiction as more of a sickness instead of a, a penalty, a reason to get in trouble. Right. I was at a and, high they, s- and they knocked marijuana right off the thing. So, right? They're not going to they test did. for marijuana. They're, yeah, now. they're not going to test for it. Yeah. I was at a high school on Sunday, and I, I was had to go use the restroom at my daughter's game. I saw a poster that was warning kids about buying fake drugs because that's what's really getting you is the, the, the knockoffs. Really? Yes, that's where we are now. I mean, I guess people know kids are going to take drugs. The science said, be careful of, of uh, I can't remember the, the drug that's killing everyone. People are trying to buy Oxycontin. Fet- fet- fentanyl. fentanyl. Yeah. Fentanyl. Yeah, because yeah. they showed a little Oxycontin yeah. pill. to tell you that I know the answer to that. Well, yeah. It's, it's, tell it's, you a little bit about me. They showed a little Oxycontin pill and said, be careful. That's the one you want, but be careful of the fakes. I can't believe that it's that. It's such a problem. I don't huge think you want problem. the Oxycontin either. Exactly. I but don't that's my whole point. They're yeah. just telling you to be careful of the fakes. Joe Burrow, am I, am I up or is it your turn? Oh, that's right. You're Joe, up. Jo- Joe Burrow wins the Heisman. Did you see his speech? LSU quarterback Joe Burrow had everybody crying at the downtown athletic, wherever it is that they hand out the Heisman Trophy these days. Did you see the speech? I did not. I watched it's, it all the way up until the winner. Watch the, watch the speech. He really? Is, he is wonderful. He's a wonderful young guy 
who plays a great tribute to his hometown in Ohio, where there's a lot of poverty, a lot more poverty there than in other places, says so many nice things about his coach, uh, uh, Coach O. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if, you're, if you're not tearing up when you watch Joe Burrow's acceptance speech for the Heisman, then you're not human. I will go back and watch it because I literally turned it off right when I saw the winner. Janoris Jenkins. Yeah, I know. Oh. Yeah, safety. He's out of work, isn't he? He is out of work. Did you see the story? No. What's uh, the story? He called another user a retard on Twitter. Oh, yeah, I did see that, yeah. Which, can't and then do that. You can't, and he had a chance to sort of apologize with a camera in his face, and he basically just said, well, that's just slang that I used to use. He just chalked it up as that's just slang, and then he was let go after that. So 2019, you got to be very careful with what you say. We had another coin toss controversy. Did you hear on Sunday? Was it Dallas? Was Dallas involved? Dallas and the Explain Rams. Explain it to me. Apparently, Dak Prescott, when he called the when when the Rams called the the coin toss, lost, and the Dallas Cowboys then won. Yeah. He said, "I want to kick. I want to kick. I want to kick." Well, what he really wants to do is defer, because if you kick, if you choose to kick, then you've used your choice, and they get to choose the next. So you, you end up kicking both both halves. <laughs> And he said, I want to kick, oh. I want to kick. And the official didn't hear him say, I defer. I want to defer to the second half, I want to kick. The, the official kept on asking, Walt Anderson kept on asking him, are you sure you want to kick? Yeah. You want to kick? And we had a controversy. But as it turns out, I guess they, they went back to the audio during halftime and they realized it and, and the Cowboys did get the, the ball at the beginning of the second half. You so think the, the refs would help them out like a blackjack dealer helps you? If you have seven and you want to stay? Eh, usually they tell you you might want to take a card. You know, you'd think the refs would help him out a little bit. Are you sure you want to kick? That You know, it kind of explained it to him. Well, I, he did, I don't, well, he I don't did, think you're saying the right thing, Dak. Should he have said, do you want to defer? Should I, he just come out and said it? I think he should help him out a little bit. Right. I don't know. That's All just right. me. Oh, right. uh, the Patriots. The Patriots. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> I mean. The the video of the monitor of them. Or yes. What are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, the video of the monitor that yeah. I think Jay Glazer might have broke. Yeah. And the, the security guard for yeah. the Bengal. Who knew there were security guards for other teams like in the stands? Who was laughing at him. Yeah. Like, Did you see the quotes? He was like, come, come on, dude. You can't. You can't. Focus in on that guy. You're not even talking about. You're not even focusing on the field. You're, you're just focusing on one guy. Yeah, he said, "Come on, guys. I don't even see the advanced scout in this footage. That's who they claim that they were doing a montage right, of right, the right. advanced scout, the Patriots." Okay, so the question is, if for sure, yes or no, are they in fact trying to cheat with this camera crew? It looks like yes, right? If you had to put a wager down, what else could it be? So silly. It's the Bengals. You should be able to beat. <laughs> Take that part out of it. I know it's torturing you. Yes, I agree with you. It's the uh, Bengals. Yeah. By the way, while we're on this topic, I'll go to my my thing. Did you see the Bengals onside kick against the Patriots? No. Oh my god. Go on. Is there a reason they've only won one game this year? Is that what you're gonna tell me? <laughs> the onside kick went a total of five yards and then spun and stopped. <laughs> Does that sum up their entire season, really? It went five yards. Got to go 10 before you touch it. It didn't even go 10. It went five yards, spun, and stopped. It's like a top? Yes. (laughs) That's their season in a nutshell. He kicked it a grand total of five yards. At the end of the year, when you make the highlight film of the whole season, just you can sell that on DVD, just that kick, if you want to know how the season was. There you go. Vince Young just lost a ton of his most prized football possessions in a storage unit auction. Did you see this? No. Oh, Vince Young. Boy, did he have a game in the national championship game or what? Against Reggie Bush? Yes, I lost lost money on that game. Uh, He apparently didn't pay the fees for his storage space in Houston, and it's a bummer because some of his coolest memorabilia was stuck in there. Now it's not his. You know how those auctions work, right? Yeah, yeah. If you don't pay your fee, 
overseas. Yeah. Someone can come in and buy. Yeah. So we're told that the items in there were his Maxwell Award, his MVP trophy from the 2006 Rose Bowl. Wow. That he doesn't own anymore. Wow. And a whole bunch of other one-of-a-kind items. And the woman said, I'm selling everything. She just went in it for the money. She said, if Vince Young wants, if he has the money and he wants to buy his stuff back, <laughs> I'm happy to sell it to him. That's very generous of you, lady. Oh, God, boy. his Maxwell trophy and his MVP trophy. Uh, it's too bad. $14,037 hmm. is my item. You want to take a guess at what that represents? It actually responds to something you said on 69P. $14,037. I don't know what that's for. That's the cost for Marcus Peters to drink the beer. Is that right? Is that what it cost? Cost him fourteen thousand and thirty-seven. That was the world's most expensive beer. <laughs> yes, it was. That he that, what do you call it? Shotgun. He shotgunned it after it, the game yeah. in uh, in Baltimore. Was that was it? In, yeah, I can't remember. Uh, where, where is? I'm well, he, trying to remember. Where, where is he now? He's he's on. He's the, on Baltimore. Uh, he's on Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when Baltimore beat whomever it was, I think the 49ers, Yeah, he drank a he shotgunned a beer. Yeah. They charged him fourteen thousand and thirty-seven dollars. I did not see that. Yeah. Probably not worth it. Did you happen to see – this is kind of long and convoluted. I'll try to make it as short as possible. Clinton Portis and all those other ex-players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This One of serious. which is a former Seahawk, Ettrick Pruitt. It's, was Carlos Rogers a Seahawk yeah. too? No, I don't wasn't? think so. Okay. Ettrick Pruitt was the guy – do you remember who Ettrick Pruitt was? No, I don't. Wait a second. Ettrick Pruitt. Okay, tell your story, then I'll tell you. Ettrick Pruitt's involved in that scandal. Okay, well, a bunch of ex-players were arrested for putting in fake – Invoices for healthcare or like getting me- reimbursed for healthcare equipment. for medical equipment that they never even purchased. Right, and then they, they would get kickbacks and they, whoever. And they were the trying to get others in. to do it. Right. that's right. Ten guys were arrested, and then yeah. two more are going to be arrested, including and one Joe of them Horn. was Etrick Pruitt. You don't know who Etrick. I don't remember Etrick Pruitt. Do you remember the Super Bowl, Mike Holmgren, the Seahawks against the Pittsburgh Steelers I in was Detroit? There. I do remember. Okay, yes. Do you remember like a safety running after? Um, the running back what was the name of the running back of the Steelers. No, he okay. wasn't the guy who went all the way. It was the other guy, Willie Parker. Oh yeah, yeah. Remember? Do you remember sa- a safety for the Seahawks who wasn't supposed to be there? It was like a third stringer, but they had lost all their safeties. I think Bolwer got taken, hurt or yeah, something. They're taking or... bad angles. That was him. That was Etrick Pruitt. Good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> no. Was that really him? That was him. It was the worst angle. It's like he hadn't been in an NFL game and he didn't know the speed of the players yet. Yeah. I think he also got caught on the um, the flea flicker. Didn't Antoine Randall L throw it? Didn't he pull a Josh Gordon and throw it out of the, the it was reverse? Randall L, yeah, I think I, it was. I think Etrick Pruitt had a bad game Ugh. in Detroit. Well, this wasn't his worst day ever, I guess. This is serious yeah. business. I mean, they're talking like prison time for this. I've got, I've only got a couple more. I don't want to, I, I think it's gone long enough. The Urban Meyer will hold the 70P. I've got Urban Meyer. I got the President's Cup, which we just talked about with Ken Green when he called somebody a dick. Um, <laughs> and I've got my last one, which is my athlete of the week. And I'm going to name the episode after. So if you have one more. Just a quick rest in peace. I like to do those oh, occasionally. Sure, uh, sure. James Radio Kennedy. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Radio with Cuba Gooding Jr. I did not. Jr. I did not. I thought you were going to say Danny Aiello so, also passed away. Yes, Danny Aiello too. Yeah, yeah. great. Great actor, loved yeah, him. But, yeah. but this guy, James, he was a mentally challenged and he was a true inspiration for, the for decades. Yeah, yeah. He was the unofficial 11th grader at TL Hannah High since 1965. They kept him a junior so he could participate with the team. It was yeah. very, it's very sweet. Yeah. And it was so so sweet that they made a movie about it in 2003 where Cooper I never Gooding, saw that movie, no. I, I don't know if, I mean, you and I don't love sports movies, so we tend to stay no. away. But this is probably transcend sports. It's yeah. just a sweet story about a guy. So, yeah, rest in peace to James Radio Kennedy. All right, uh, naming the episode, what did I give you? I gave you a couple. I gave you Michael Sinclair. I gave you Larry Triplett internationally. I gave you Sam Huff, Rayfield Wright, 
Artie Donovan. There's some Hall of Famers that wore number 70. R.E. Donovan, okay. But I'm going to go uh, Artie, Artie Donovan. Oh, the, the really funny guy yeah, with the crew fun, cut? Really funny Hilarious, guy. right? Hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baltimore Colt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to go off the board. I'm going to name the, the, um, the show after my Athletes of the Week. Okay. Did you know that on Saturday, the Newtown, Connecticut High School Nighthawks won the high school football championship in unbelievable fashion in Connecticut on a 36-yard touchdown. I've seen the play, the highlights all over the internet. A 36-yard touchdown play on the last play of the game to win the state championship seven years to the day after the tragic Sandy Hook shooting. And that's the high school where Sandy Hook, the elementary, where all the kids would go. Same zone. The the, the feeder school. The feeder school. Wow. Is that right? Seven years. The seven-year anniversary of the tragedy at Sandy Hook, the Newtown High School Nighthawks won the football state championship on the last play. And you don't think that if somebody out there, if you're listening and you are straight against divine intervention, if you just don't believe in karma... Well, I, I mean, there's going to be more where this comes. It, it, every once in a while, something reminds us that there might be a higher power working on it. At least there's a great magnet doing something up there. So I suggest I that like we it. name it after yep. them. I like it. I, I say Congrats. we either go Sandy Hook, episode Sandy Hook, or we go episode Newtown High School Nighthawks. Which one do you like? Well, I think if you, if you do the if you do the high school, that, that covers Sandy Hook as well because okay. they, they, right. they feed into right. it. Episode the Newtown High School Nighthawks is in the books.